0: Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. The Sport Dog promise to consumers is simple gear the way you'd design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. I've used that sport dog collar in different
5: temperatures. It just doesn't stop working.
0: Get 20% off your first purchase using code MEATEATER. So go to www.sportdog.com slash eater to learn more. This is the meat-eater podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwear-less. We'll hunt the meat-eater podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by OnX Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Download the Hunt app from the iTunes or Google Play store. Know where you stand with OnX. In addition to bunch of normal people that are sitting around here. We have, from Phelps Game Calls, Jason Phelps and Dirk Durham are here to join us. And we have like a, we're making all kinds of sighting. Exciting, not sighting. Exciting announcements in a little bit here. So stay tuned for that part. But first got to take care of the other stuff. Um, Then we're going to get into these two. But how's it going, guys?
6: Good. Fantastic.
0: All right. Don't go anywhere. And if we talk about something that that you, you feel like you're qualified to speak about or not, Jump in, and we're going to cover off on a bunch of junk. Then we'll get to you. This is the first installment of a recurring segment, and the segment's called, uh, we need a jingle for it. It's called um, Chester Gets Rich Off Bitcoin. Now, Chester, (laughs) this is really a story about walleye I'm going to
3: put in like a slot machine sound there. (laughs) Yeah. Cashing out coins.
0: Can you build a little something? Yeah, I think like a slot machine, and then something to signify a walleye boat. (laughs) Okay. So if you could hear an engine, you know, like a outboard. Yep. And you kinda got the the coolant pissing out and passing the,
3: by through through the headphones, like left to right.
0: Yeah, yeah, him hauling ass by yeah. and then a sound of like cascading money out of a slot it. machine they'll introduce uh Chester gets rich off Bitcoin.
3: The continuing adventures of Chester the Investor.
0: Ha. Come to Papa Moon. That's it. Come on. Chester. Uh, wants a walleye boat real bad, and so he sent how much money off to Bitcoin?
5: Right now, about four grand. No, initially. Initially, like a hundred bucks.
0: Yeah, and I was with him one weekend, and it, what shot up to like five hundred dollars? And yeah. I called you a liar. Was
5: like no, four, I called you four hundred d- something. I think.
0: Yeah, your hundred bucks turned into four hundred bucks. This is I'm not giving investment advice here. I still think he's. I still think he's going to get screwed in the end. But <laughs> no way. And over the weekend, you made like a lot of money.
5: Yeah, I mean, um over over this week this last weekend. No, no, saying? no. I'm going back. You're going back
0: still. Um to when yeah. to when, when when we all caught COVID.
5: Yep. Over when the you'd week- already had it, but Yeah. Over the weekend I probably made, I don't know, like over three hundred bucks and you didn't believe me. And you're like, no,
0: I believed you, but I didn't I, I was still ignorant about I'm still way ignorant. Sure. I was even more ignorant then about cryptocurrencies. And I said I bet you can't get it back. I don't know why I said that. Yeah, and I Did you know that my favorite quote. Tell me, honey.
7: Um, the uh, skeptic skepticism is the chastity of the intellect. So I was skeptical,
0: and <laughs> and Chester's raking all this money, in. I was super jealous. And I said, I want to see that money bounce back into your bank account.
5: And then what happened? I took it out, and it went in my bank account. And while it was sitting and in I think my I lost bank account, ten, I
0: think I lost ten bucks on a bet, too, didn't I? Yeah,
5: you said you give me ten bucks to put it back in. Let me in. see if I got it right here. Um, while it was sitting in my bank account, I definitely lost some money. By sitting dormant. By sitting dormant. Even though they gave you like point oh 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 one percent interest on that stuff in your yeah. bank account? But I, I got it back in there and uh, want me to Bitcoin right now is in a pretty new stage.
0: Would you rather you got you can do it one of two ways? I give you twenty and you owe me ten, or I give you seven and I owe you three.
5: Give me seven. Okay, there's our setup. So yeah, I might have two. And tens. then when I get that walleye boat, you just pay for gas.
0: Okay, so so you took it out in order to prove that it wasn't that you hadn't. I thought you got scammed on a weird website.
5: No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I thought I was like, I oh, we just heard of a guy selling ammo. He set up. You know how no one can find ammo. We heard from an individual about him going to some website. and This wasn't the name of the website, but the website's like, bullets are us, you know. And lo and behold, he has all the ammo that no one can find. So he places a big order and his credit card gets processed and no ammo shows up.
5: Got to look out for that kind of stuff.
0: So I thought you fell prey to that by this walleye boat scam.
5: No, no, I did not. I just uh, listened to my brother who is very smart smarter than me. And, uh, he said, you should start dabbling in Bitcoin. And, uh, he said, if you put some money into it that you can still feel comfortable, you can still sleep if you lose it, you know? Yeah. But Um, your wife gets mad when you sleep. (laughs) When I have COVID and I (laughs) slept too much. Yes, that is true. Um, but so I'm dabbling in it and, uh, Every day, Steve, it's getting a little bit closer to that walleye boat.
0: So now at this point, but then you went and put more money in. I don't mm-hmm. want to get too deep into your personal finances, but you're in deep now. I had some
5: cash sitting in a drawer. and uh Literally? Yeah. What's and your I... address, Jessica? <laughs> <laughs> and I took it out of there and I put that in Bitcoin. And I've been just slowly putting, you know, a hundred bucks in here and there. And... uh Bitcoin right now is pretty level. I think a lot of people are new to it. So people are getting in Bitcoin, they're making some quick cash and they're selling. But just as of recent, a lot of people have been putting it into cold storage. Big companies. Mm -hmm. Like even like Fortune five hundred companies are starting to dabble in Bitcoin. Yeah, Tesla bought one point five billion. Yep. And And uh, did
3: they make did they make like another one point five billion off of that already? Well, he like turned that?
0: around, and then he turned around. Elon Musk turned around and suggested that it does seem a little high, so like kind of sabotaged his own deal, apparently. And said that the the decision to do that, I think he said, the decision to do that wasn't really reflective of his. Uh, uh, he said something to the effect of, "Um, to suggest that it was other other individuals were pushing for that move more aggressively than he
3: was." Gotcha. Yeah, I heard like he, like they make, I think last year they made like $700 million off of car sales. And it just in the short time that he's had that that money in Bitcoin, he's made over a billion dollars.
5: It's kind of scary.
3: Dude, man, imagine how many freaking walleye boats that is. It's a lot. Someone should divide that
0: out. What's a walleye boat cost?
5: Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm not. Depending on
0: what, I'm, what boat you want. I'm, yeah, so I'm, you're
5: saying, oh, okay, you're okay, your own walleye lake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I am trying to get like a nice, simple 18 foot Lund with a motor on it. And that's all I need. So
0: then you're going to quit
5: your investment. That would be hard to do. Ike thinks I'm crazy for wanting to buy a walleye boat off of it. So when the time comes, I'll uh, consult with different people and, and go from there. Will I be
3: included on who you consult with? Sure. I think you should include me too. All right. Well, Seth just bought a walleye boat.
0: I know, I old, need I need a walleye boat partner. He did it the old-fashioned way. He just went down and bought the damn boat. Yeah, that's true. He didn't get tangled up in <laughs> <laughs> cryptocurrencies. All right, Chester. You can go back to whatever you're doing. All right. Oh. Well, I'm sorry though. How much might It might blow up so
5: much that you can just peel off peel off what you need. It could. I've only made like a little over a thousand bucks is all. Um total. But it's we well, haven't made it yet. Well, I haven't put it in my bank account, but it's because you could
0: wake up and it could be gone.
5: It could, but it's just going up and down right now, and I'm trying not to like look at it very much because I know in the long run, I think think it's going to pay off. And <laughs> I'm dabbling. I'm not like invested. Just dabbling. <laughs> just a dabbler. All right. Thank you, Chester. You bet.
8: You should go visit that crypto mine in uh, Butte, Montana.
0: You know why Bill Gates that's what you know, Bill Gates is down on it because of the amount of electricity it takes to do the computations. Yeah, it's a and lot. and the fact that he's not into these anonymous uh these anonymous, untraceable, unretractable terrorist style exchanges of money.
5: Yeah, I agree. That's kind of sketchy, but uh I'm just trying to buy a walleye boat. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
3: Yeah, Steve, isn't isn't your mantra don't hate the player, hate the game? That's correct. Okay. I think that <laughs> applies here.
0: I stole that from Clay. I'm mean, not that Clay Newcomb made it up, but I stole it from him when he revealed to me that he's getting the he he was uh lined up to get the vaccination in Arkansas See, on what I felt was pretty dubious grounds. Well, he, which he, it, it didn't work out for him in the end anyways, but he was getting it as a public you know, as a basketball coach for a school,
7: it is now. Which maybe uh, that's fish. yeah. Sure. I told you. Well, it's he's, what he's getting it now.
0: He, well, he was supposed to get it quite a while ago. Oh, and it initially fell through.
7: All right, Uh Yanni, do your correction. Corrections. <clears throat> while while back, <laughs> I don't know what uh, episode it was, but we read a, an email from a fella that had, had found a new use for the SUV kitchen appliance (laughs) why why is that funny because
0: it didn't even occur to me until you brought it up like how i thought it was genius right but then when you brought it up to me it occurred to me like how not a good idea it is
7: oh yeah no yeah i think all of us in the room are guilty because i was like that's genius nobody called it out everybody's like oh yeah a great idea like you know, next time the kids have a cold pool, I'm gonna just drop my sous machine in there. Or hello, this this fella had a had a birthing <laughs> pool set up in his house, and um, just was struggling with keeping it warm, and and he had the bright idea to stick a sous <laughs> wand in there, and, it, and and it kept the water nice. <laughs> like my that. father heard who's a building inspector. Yeah, who heard this? So he's up on safety, and he said there's a lot of reasons. A lot of failures that could happen. That That you don't
0: plug stuff in and stick it in the tub with you. (laughs) Exactly.
7: And and he said, by no means is that appliance meant for that application. And thus, we should not talk about it or promote it. da 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 So, there you go. Don't use a sous vide wand to warm up your bathtub water. Or um, a clothes iron. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would not work either yeah don't drop plugged in
0: stuff into your tub with you I I when Yanni brought this up I initially was um I was eye rolly I was eye roly about the need to clarify because I don't know how it really goes like can you imagine let me let's just say heaven forbid right what winds up happening where the does the judge wind up being helmetmet you t- so you're saying that this that you listen to like some knuckleheads on a podcast who are not like baby experts or bath experts <laughs> or electricians. And it's called like, like the, the slogan is like hunt fish. Listen, but you, you took birthing advice from them and now you want to hold them liable.
3: Dismissed. Yeah. Or would he be like,
0: by God, the buck stops here. Make an they'll, example. They'll out be of you. held accountable for this <laughs> transgression. By the way, but anyway, I, 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 Yanni you, pointed you, out, you do you, you really
7: ju- want it to go that far? Yeah, you would just have to worry about your own conscience.
0: That's what Yanni brought up. <clears throat> he doesn't want it on his. Doesn't want it on him. Yeah. Well, it's off you now, Yanni. Uh oh, Corinne, real quick. What was the general um speaking of feedback? because We got another feedback thing here. After the renewable, what was that episode called? There's no free lunch with re- with
8: renewable energy. Mm-hmm.
0: You said there's a lot of people writing in. Yeah. Was it um, generally was it all over the place, or was there like a cons- was there like a consensus?
8: Um, there. Were, it was kind of all over the place. I people think. just riled yeah. up about this yeah. and riled up about yeah. that. Yeah, Corey. Yeah. Corey forwarded me Corey Zara. Our uh, uh, community manager he forwarded me kind of the most uh, I don't know salient of both sides and he That's said a good I mean word, it, it was never a, it was a bit word. all over the place yeah there were there were folks who were really glad that we were just even engaging the topic to begin oh. with there were folks who just kind of railed on us not asking hard enough you know or pressing enough questions or folks disagreeing with. Nails, uh folks spouting off, folks thinking, I mean, it was, it just kind of ran the gamut, but there was a lot of response to that. So it, it hit, it hit somewhere hmm. Yeah, they paid attention.
7: Contentious topic.
8: Yeah. I think we can, you know, come back to it at some point.
0: Well, they weren't the, being mean to the guest, right? I thought the guest brought it. I thought he did a great job. I, I don't think he was pushing, he was not trying to, remember I brought up the obvious,
8: uh-huh. I I know I'm not finishing
0: up. any of my sentences right now, but <laughs> asking tough questions. I think we ask the toughest of all questions. Even ask the question like, "Do you feel that the renewable energy industry, as it is, obfuscates some of the realities about what this would really yeah. take?" That's like that's like watching 60 Minutes, dude.
8: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I, I should
0: th- get like a like a a prize for that.
8: <laughs> I think hard hitting.
0: <laughs> Interview.
8: I think his his kind of refrain and why that was the name of the podcast is that it's true. Like he's it, it's just there's no there there's always going to be a compromise. There are going to be a lot of things that are shitty if we as a society continue to live the way that we do. Yeah. You know, like you guys are listening to this podcast right now on your phone or on your computer. Or, and that's battery and that's like it's i mean it's the way that we are living right now so if we're gonna make not make those changes we you know we got to do something so
7: elon musk thinks we're gonna have to go and populate other planets if we want to keep this human race going it's kind of i don't even care about the human race
0: as long as we all blink out at the same time (laughs) i just don't want to have to go and then everybody else gets to stick around
7: I don't think it's going to happen in our lifetimes,
0: buddy. <laughs> i get some bad FOMO if that happened, man. But if I knew it was just going to be like, remember that movie, um, Melancholia?
8: No.
0: Or that asteroid? They, like, you watch half the movie and you don't know what's going to happen. You just know that everybody's acting like extremely weird. And then eventually you realize that they know at some specific second the Earth will be destroyed by an asteroid. And everybody gets to go at the exact same moment. That's the way to do it. Um, scrap metal, the <laughs> guy wrote in how they're making it way harder for like drug addicts and derelicts to turn in scrap metal. It's hard on crackheads now. <laughs> <laughs> so when you go in now to a scrap yard, you got to provide an address. They don't pay cash for, weirdly, they don't pay cash for anything but steel. It cuts down on construction theft because you got a place to send the check. Of course, you to have an address. Thus eliminating I think it's I think it's prejudicial, but eliminating vagrants who might just be wanting to make some drug stealing. And he says that a lot of scrapyards have repeat customers. And he once watched he's from a scrapyard. He watched a minivan come rolling in with a 36 inch diameter piece of cast iron sewage pipe stamped city property. He said that the um the cops were there before they could even unload it. Scrap is high right now. Three bucks a pound for number one copper. Steel is 150 a ton for low grade. He, This guy that rode in was getting big into scrap himself, but his mom doesn't like him leaving it all over the yard, so he's got to get his own place, and he'll get back into the business. <laughs> <laughs> the super cold weather in Texas killed tons of stuff. Tons of animals. All those exotics that are from, like, Africa, Asia... Wiped him out. In fact, if you watch the episode we did on on Netflix, we have an episode where we go Neil guy hunting. I go with Jesse Griffiths, and we're on a on, on a big ranch. We were hunting with a guy. What was it? do you remember that guy's name that went
7: out with us to accompany us, help us out? It was with an A, I believe. Amon. Amando. Was it Amondo? Mon- mondo.
3: Amando. Th- yeah, but I think they called him Mondo for short.
7: Maybe. Well, they, I there heard. Might have been an R in there too. Armando, R- R-
3: R- but Mondo. Mondo, yeah, they called him Mondo.
0: That ranch. I was talking to the guy there, um, the the family that owns it. So far, they found. This is days ago. So far, they just randomly counted up eighty six dead Neil guy that froze to death. And okay. weirdly, some of them, uh, kind of came up and like died against a house on the tile. Like, they, there's, like, some solar radiant heat or something coming off that thing. How they found it, I have no idea. Like, why they would. What about the uh, orcs and stuff? Some dead ones. But they can handle it better. Than... Just far fewer. And yeah. he said he hasn't done, like, an exhaustive survey. It's just they're just laying all over the place.
3: Yeah. God, it's crazy.
0: Yeah. This article here points out that they've died on both high and low fence, which makes sense because, like, why does, you know. And this, what's in this picture of all these dead critters they got? Like what critter? What kind of animal? Looks like axis. Yeah. Axis deer. I think it's axis. That's what another buddy of mine uh, was telling me.
7: Yeah, he said his buddy's place. All, I believe he used the word all of the axis deer died. Is that right? Jeez. That's the place that Witt knows about. I don't know about. Oh no, I was I was talking, talking with about? Matt. Yeah, yeah, same place. All the Axis deer died? Yeah.
0: There's a zoo down there. They had to bring the flamingos inside. That was interesting.
8: They're like inside a restaurant.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Crazy. You got to wonder, like, what you do with all that rot. Who was pointing out that they wanted to go down and get all the backstraps?
3: Uh, yeah. No, we were saying that. Yeah. You just go down.
0: Like, if you backstrap. woke up one
3: day and there's 86 dead Neil guy.
0: Man, what's that times two? <laughs> <laughs> 172 freaking backstraps you'd have if you went out and got them all. Yeah, that'd be.
3: Imagine a full freezer with nothing but Neil guy backstraps. Yeah.
8: God. But what's that? What's that uh, gonna do to the industry down there?
0: I mean, it's got to be – I mean, in in terms of whatever industry there is around – in terms of whatever industry there is around uh, those hunts, I mean, it's got to kick its teeth in. You know, Jesse Griffith's restaurant, and um, yeah. he sells a lot of that stuff, so I imagine that's going to complicate his world. And then he only buys – I don't know what he's doing right now, but he only buys produce from Texas. This stuff's all frozen, man. Yeah. And then strange. all those people without – like acts at like their fridges and can't cook. He was running, he turned his, he turned, um, his restaurant basically into like, he had like a social media feed going about what they have, what people can come get, what they have in, what they're out of. Just trying to like feed people. Jeez. And use up stuff. So it was almost like this, like ticker tape of information about what you can come down and get and who's got what.
7: God, we're vulnerable animals. Mm-hmm. Aren't we? Not as bad as Neil, guy.
0: (laughs) This is the weirdest thing. A guy wrote in, Cal, who's not here right now, is the singer from Ram Jam. If you go to YouTube and look up the Black Betty, remember that song? Whoa, Black Betty. Have you ever read the lyrics of that song? No. My God, does that guy look like Cal? Really? Someone wrote in pointing out the bass player, look, but he was wrong. It's a singer. It is Cal?
8: <laughs> it's a weird. It's I, like, I don't.
0: I don't see it. Oh, dude, <laughs> it's Rick and Cal, man. Do you see it, Seth? Oh, yeah. With, if,
8: there it is. There it is. Hold on. Hold on.
7: Where it's is? Cal. There's a screenshot. You see it, no, Jason? No, that's just, not him. That's not That's, that's not oh, the right guy. Oh, that's not the right guy. Oh.
8: Oh my God,
7: it is. Is it
3: the bass? Is it the player? Oh, base is it the base player? player? I thought he. Yeah, I couldn't tell yeah, what he was. The I couldn't player. tell what
7: instrument he had. I pass it around.
0: Oh, so it is the bass guy. Hold on a minute. Oh my God, it is. It yeah. is Cal. I could. I. I, I, I was looking at it trying to figure out what he was playing, <laughs> but let me see.
7: It's kind of like a mix between Cal and uh, Corey uh, Brittany's husband.
0: Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is a bass. Man, I'm bad at music, man. I can't even tell what instrument I'm looking at. Um, Looks just like him. But that song's a weird song.
6: <laughs> the, the oh my God. It's a dead ringer. Yeah. Uh,
8: Everyone go to a minute or second 25 on the Ram Jam Black Betty. The song's
0: weird because he's talking about a woman named Black Betty. Okay. And he likes her a lot and really does. She really does it for him. But since she has a child who goes blind, I thought it was goes wild and blind and blind. Dude, it's a horrible song. Wow. But it is Cal. Big hit. Oh <laughs> this is a good one, a dude wrote in about. Uh, he's a tree surgeon. He wrote this thing because he knew I used to be a tree surgeon. So he thought it would appeal to me. But a guy, a, a fellow tree surgeon guy had a nipple ring and the guy slid down a tree a little bit one time and a bark, and a chunk of bark grabbed that nipple ring, tore his nipple right off. Oof. Another guy wrote, and I don't know if this is true or not. I have a hard time with this. We were talking a long time ago about how you can sell, Like I know for a fact that Buck Bowden sold a, well, how big was that moose? It's like a 70-some inch moose.
7: Yeah, it was giant.
0: Sold it for like tens of thousands of dollars to a to a Cabela's for their collection. And he even knows where it sits now. He would he would carry this big giant moose head around, the rack, he'd carry around when he's at a show. So if you go to like a show like what's that thing in Harrisburg called, the famous one?
3: Great American, Great American Outdoor Show. show. Yeah. yeah. That's where I met Buck
0: Bowden. So there's these sporting, like these outdoor shows, right? And, and outfitters will have booths, and they always have like a little photo album. A lot of them have like all kinds of taxidermy mouths. Like you go to Bucks, it's just Bucks sitting there at a folding on a folding chair with a photo album laid in front of them. Like nothing. Like just <laughs> does it, like not a marketer. Not a marketer. And so I was like, ah, I feel like talking to that guy. So I went and talked to him a long time. He said he used to have this big moose he'd carry around, but he brought it to Harrisburg. And some guys came up, asked him a bunch of questions about it. They left, and another guy came up and made the purchase. Because he wanted to put it in a sporting goods store. Is it in the Harrisburg? I don't know. He he could tell Cabela's? where it is. I can't remember where he
3: said it wound up. Bass Pro, whatever's there.
0: This guy's saying he found a uh, porcupine, albino. He says Cabela's offered him 70 grand, and his grandpa, or what the hell was it? His dad. Says his dad turned it down. That's where I get incredulous. Oh, my gosh. He says he mounted it on a pile of sticks (laughs) and pine
7: cones (laughs) instead. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I feel like his dad should call in just so I could say, really? 70K, huh? Let's see. I want to see a picture of this uh, albino. I'm sure if he's listening, I'm sure he'll send it in. Porcupine, Corinne, if
0: he writes in, maybe his pappy will talk to us on the phone. We
7: can grill him. We can grill them.
8: I'm actually looking at pictures of albino. Oh,
7: ma- wait, maybe there's a story that goes out. along with it that's worth $70,000. I don't know. Well, maybe it's Elon Musk. No, but he's saying that it's his retirement plan. Oh. Oh. Huh. E- there's Elon- Chester's walleye boat. <laughs> Yeah. Jessica nice could
1: one. get like a
0: freaking with a full electronics package and everything, man. Yeah, you probably
7: put two engines on that sucker.
0: Uh that's pretty cool. This show, I gotta report this because this makes us look good. <clears throat> this show solved a mystery. Not only have we saved a ton of lives by through a ton. Well, two. <laughs> through and not us, Dr. Adam Lazara has saved two lives so far about tourniquets. This guy, uh was up along the Mussel Shell River in Montana and finds, like, it had burned. There was, a, there was a prairie fire. And the prairie fire had stripped away all the grass and sage and whatnot from this little patch. And lo and behold, there sits a little tombstone. No explanation about the tombstone. He was super curious about it and took a picture of the tombstone. Then... He even called the office of the land and the, the administration, the administrative office of the land management agency. They didn't know. Then we got talking about my new favorite book, Life and Death at the Mouth of the Muscle Shell. He goes and gets the book, reads it, and finds a very thorough explanation of what happened to this dude.
8: But that was unsolved for 15 years. This was 15 years ago that he Keeping him up at upon. night. Yeah
0: keeping them up at night for 15 years. Who wants to sum up what happened to the guy, the guy's body in that book, the amount of people shooting each other, fiddling with guns. Yeah, It's crazy. Oh, all the time. Yep. It must be three or four times. There's someone's fiddling around the gun and like <laughs> shoots himself or shoots his body or whatever.
7: Yeah. Well, we didn't have hunter safety courses yet. Yeah. So, uh, this fella, whose name was Constant Casnell, it's spelled Q-U-E-S-N-E-L-L. Chester.
0: How tall is Chester? I don't know. 5'7". This guy was 5'6".
7: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's one of the interesting things about Constant is that he was a, he was a short fella. <laughs> Uh, he was a uh, tinsmith from Montreal and had enlisted enlisted in in uh, Boston but uh, anyway it sounds like they uh, there was a, a raid some Sioux raided their stock and had their stock run around everywhere and this fellow and another fellow went were were must have been right there I don't know if they were shepherding the stock or what um, but somehow they were part of this being raided upon and uh, they found his body with a whole bunch of arrows sticking in it back and arm and it looked as though if, and I don't really know how he's extrapolating this information from what he could see, but he's saying that the, some of the arrows in the hands and uh, were evidently shot while he had his gun to his face. In the act of firing at them, disabling him so he could not use his gun, a breech loader, causing him to turn and yeah, run. he's like this. Pew, pew. And so pew. they're saying that like,
0: yeah, and just kept... the
7: angle of the arrow was as though he was holding a rifle, uh, aiming and shooting.
0: I think that's what he's suggesting. Yeah. What well, he Cause... might not be keen to is the um, elaborate ways in which bodies would be sort of mutilated in symbolic ways Mm -hmm. and, like, things done to bodies to, like, send messages or to impact one's experience in the afterlife. So who knows?
7: Well, I also just feel that, like, sure, they might have hit him as he was in the motion of, of shooting that rifle. But to say that someone's, like, taking a stick bow... I don't know what range, and they're, like, actively trying to shoot a guy's forearm or hand to disable him. Like, that's some pretty accurate stuff. Yeah. You know, and, like, you, it's not like you're at the range, you know, shooting at, at, a, at a target that's not moving. You're, like, in part of a raid, and you're like, oh, I'm going to hit it, hit him in the wrist. And so you can't shoot at me anymore. Yeah, I got you. Skept- the
0: skepticism is the chastity of the intellect, Yanni. Mm-hmm.
6: Maybe they were really bad shots, and that's as good as it... I mean, they got him in the hand and the They were going for and, the heart. Yeah. they were just Yeah, aiming, exactly. Aiming They're, for the guy. They were firing arrows, yeah, yeah, and they happened to hit him in the arms. Or
0: he was hiding behind a stump. Mm-hmm. And that's all that was sticking up.
7: That could be, too.
0: But I wouldn't underestimate those bows because um, we're going to have... We're working on having Michael Punk back on about his new book that's coming out the fet- about the Fetterman fight. Mm-hmm. And they killed... I think the Sioux called it like the battle of 100 in the hand, but they killed something like 84 uh, 84 US soldiers with bows. I mean granted they had it was 2000 against 84, but killed them with bows, man. Like but mostly, I guess there was some firearms, they mostly did it with that. So but you'd also read about bodies being left with 100 arrows in them. Which I think is like you're basically saying to someone.
7: Yeah, you're super dead.
0: You're saying to someone like, "Man, this is like kind of like where we live." <laughs> Appreciate you not coming round.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Go on.
7: Uh, that's all I had about constant.
3: Yeah, that's pretty damn cool, though. What is getting shot up full air? No of arrows? <laughs> fun. <laughs> Finding that tombstone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's super cool. And then learning about it just by reading a book. Because you know what's especially interesting about it is that everything that happened not everything. The 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 vast majority of everything that happens in that book is underwater. Yeah. It's under Fort Peck Reservoir. Yep. An enterprising fella would get himself a scuba tank and go down there and look around and find cool stuff. Yeah. Dig around down there. Okay, moving on. We're going to talk about turkeys, but as a segue to turkey talk and, and it's almost like I almost hesitate to bring this up because it uh let me let me put this question to Jason. Do you know what I want? Do you know what Seth is going to present for us? Yeah, yep. Do what do, do you feel um are you like just do you love turkeys and you're just interested in all things turkeys or do you feel like this negates something? Or do you feel that it like does this diminish the work of a turkey caller? Or is this just, why not know about everything that's true?
4: No, I think I think it's something we strive for. Like when some of what we're going to listen to, like, man, you know, I, I hate the sound of a box sometimes, but like, man, that's really boxy sound. And so it's just, oh. it makes me think like, how do we sound more like that? Even though we all know what we've been doing works. And we had a little pre-conversation before you got here, like, you know, cadence is important. You know, some of the other oh. stuff that doesn't matter as much as the sound, um, you know, and then I don't want to necessarily... Get ahead of ourselves, but like the seventy-seven yelper hen coming up, like you know we've always been oh seven to nine note yelp, you know one lesson you're not going to call in the bird ten yelps you're not going to call the bird in like seven to nine, and then you hear this real hen out there just going yeah. town, so it's like it always makes you think, but I, I think is is a you know guy that tries to sound as much like the real thing, like you always strive to like hey yeah she might
0: sound off, but I think a lot of real hens aren't great turkey callers. That w- what got me interested in finding out about like looking this stuff up is I found that it was more helpful to me to go on YouTube, like in learning about learning Turkey calling, right? It was almost more helpful for me to go on YouTube and just find hens. Yep. Find video of hens making noise because oftentimes like so often when you're out in the woods and you hear turkeys They're not doing the playbook. They're not always doing the playbook that you're doing. Like you have an idea of the playbook, but then you're like, you'll, you'll be sitting there in the dark sometime and just hear some hand just like up in a tree going nuts. And you would feel funny doing that. Yep. Yep. Like, and this, this hand on YouTube that if you heard a person out in the woods, did the raunchiest, loudest, 77-yelp-in-a-row sequence. You'd be like, what is that dude doing? Yep, Yeah, that's, that's a
7: guy. Yeah, or you'd say, you no, know, after 34, you'd be like, that's not a dude. It's gotta be a dude. <laughs> yeah, because no there's no going the dude dead air. nuts, man.
4: Yeah,
0: that guy, either, he'd have passed out by now. <laughs>
7: <laughs> it's really interesting,
0: man. It's really interesting yep. to go watch stuff they do. But then I, I th- th- it, it, it's worth bringing this up, too. Uh you know the, the 10th Legion? that, that Kind of like a, this famous turkey hunt book by this guy, Colonel Tom Kelly?
7: mm mm-hmm. uh, Phil, Phil's subject matter e- expert. You're a Tom Kelly expert? No,
3: Ben's just been shoving it down my throat for the last few months, so <laughs> um, it's hard to avoid.
0: It's a good book about turkeys. But in it, he tells this story where he's out in the woods one day and he's watching a group of I can't remember how if he's watching. He's watching either a group of hens or a group of toms. Going about their business. And a hen shows up near him and sets to just yelping her ass off. Okay? It's like spring. And he said the gobblers didn't even pick up their head. So in terms of, you know, there's a big thing about like what mood are they in? Yep. Like what do they got going on? So if you do something and it doesn't respond, you in your head's like, he doesn't think I'm a hen. Right? Yeah, but then that. And I didn't that trick them.
3: Well, but then here's a hen standing there yeah, and they're like, and eh, didn't pick their head the, up. Uh, Mike Chamberlain was saying that their testosterone levels change daily, up and down. And one day I have that problem. One day <laughs> one day their testosterone might be low and you call to them and they don't give a shit. But the next day you're on that same bird and his testosterone levels have risen and he's like Are all of a sudden me? interested. Yeah.
6: Sounds like a bull elk.
0: <laughs> Man, I yeah. got a I got a little idea I'm hatching right now. <laughs> T- testosterone Put, injections for turkeys putting corn out with testosterone <laughs> <really.
4: laughs> you'd be breaking two laws <laughs> yeah i see i've always been like uh i've always subscribed to the idea like you know they're hinned up and if they got there for sure thing like they're not interested but i'd be curious in that example you shared like when the real hen was next to him like was it truly a just a, a flock of toms or were they locked down on a hen um, cause if they, I would, I would, you gotta read the 10th Legion. I would throw a fit. I would pack my calls up and go home. If it was nothing but Tom's over there, no hens locked down. And they
0: didn't even look at me. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm out of here. Yeah. have it changed to change. I've been having, I had a big fight with Clay Newcomb down in Texas where we went out one day bright early in the morning to rattle bucks in. Okay. Um, and we had reason to believe based on Yanni rattling a couple, basically into the truck with them. We had reason to believe that on this property, rattling worked Very well. We go out in the morning and nothing. And I'm like, damn, what's going on? You know, then we go out in the middle of the day and one after the other. And I don't think it's that their testosterone level spiked. I argued to Clay that I'm like, for lack of a better word, I think bucks are bored (laughs) at two o'clock. And I think in the morning, they're kind of like, oh, the dolls are doing this. They're moving around, stuff's going on. And then everybody's just laying around, bored off their asses, and they hear a rattle, and he's and the does are bedded. And he's like, oh, I can run over there real quick. I'm not going to miss out on something exciting. Yeah. I'm thinking. Which
6: Clay thought that was a stupid idea. <laughs> I'm thinking he's already checked the bedding area. He knows all those does are not in heat. And he's like, whoa, somebody's fighting over a hot doe over here. Boom, I got to yeah. go. So maybe not bored, but you know what I'm saying? His yeah. mood changed. Yeah. yeah, His circumstances
0: changed. In some kind of predictable fashion, at yep. a certain time of day.
7: Yep. Maybe their uh, testosterone rises with the temperature. Mine doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Man, I just got a new truck. Before I even drove my new truck anywhere, I wasn't going to drive it anywhere until I put a deck system in it. That's, how, that's what a believer I am in decked. I always thought they were a great deal, but now they're even better because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know, they seem great to me. It's just an improvement on perfection. The new system, made in the USA, gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right in your truck bed. You still have a truck bed you can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system. Has eight D ring tie downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're, they're D rings that lay real flat. Like you still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D rings. The D rings are built in. The drawer system fits any trucker van on the road in the USA from the last 20 plus years. Deck is a game changer. There's no more, like, leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck, out of the way, and secure. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. For all things auto, do it yourself, and you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today, or visit us at o'reillyauto.com/meat eater. That's o'reillyauto.com/meat eater. Okay, Seth, share. Uh, I don't know how you want to do this. I want to play. So this is like you got some good ones. Yeah, I, I have a couple. Um, here, let's do this first. Which one of you boys, Dirk or Jason? Which one of you boys wants to um, give us like a a, a a conservative hunter sits in the woods and goes, yep, 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 yep. I'm am I going to use your call or Yanni's? Doesn't matter to me, man. Whatever one you think is going to be the most conservative for you, sitting in the woods. I'm not using either of yours. I'm gonna use the meat eater call. Okay, uh. this is a conservative turkey hunter who's like, man, I got to play it cool. I don't want to give these turkeys the wrong idea. Okay.
4: <laughs> now, is that like, that's probably still like, they're just out of the tree or still in the tree, like real cool.
0: Yeah, I call that conservative. Yeah. All right. Now, Seth's going to share with us like some some turkey noises. Yeah. so this, I love these things.
3: This first one just totally debunks the the like don't call too much <laughs> 7 to 9 yelp cadence <laughs> just nonstop it's like having a kazoo
0: <laughs> out in the woods
3: That's the hunter. That's the hunter. (laughs) I love it. So after hearing that, you know, maybe you could call a little bit more. I don't don't know. Yeah, because like, if they don't come in, you're like, I'm going to give them the silent treatment. Yeah.
0: no one's, I don't know. Maybe some people are. Maybe some people are like, dude, I'm going to pour the coals to it.
7: <laughs> there yep. is. There are. Uh, man, I can't remember the guy's name. Someone that Jay Scott hunted with. Uh, Yargus. maybe? You guys know that name? He was like, there's so many guys that have been like national turkey calling championships, but I believe the guy's name is Billy Yargis. And that was the first guy that Jay, I think, had heard and that I had heard where like even in the dark on the tree setup, his attitude is pour the coals to him. Just talk, 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 hmm. talk, 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 and be like, no, I am the only hen you need to be focused on right here, me, and hmm. just hammer at him, and he had great success. I like that guy. That's, <laughs> that that's your style. Yeah, I, I don't, the whole like
3: be quiet, be patient, that's, that's no good.
4: I wanna be like that hen. I just wanna run that call as
0: much as possible. Hit us with another one, Seth.
3: Oh, okay. So this one is a hen that if if I heard this hen, let's say I'm in Pennsylvania and I'm walking through the woods and I hear this, I'm like, that is a dude on a box call and he sounds terrible. Um this this turkey's clucks are more like squeaks. Like some sound good, but you'll hear a yeah. couple that are just like squeaks. Hmm. Like every once in a while, there's one in there. It's just like a squeak, and yeah. I'd be like, "That's a dude, just like messed up a little bit." <laughs> he yeah. like, "There's a problem with his box call." Yeah, yep. yeah. So, yeah, real turkey.
0: You got another good one. Here's one more good one. You'll be well, able, to, you'll be able to clean this all up, right,
3: Phil? Yeah. This one, this one's just a hen that gobble, that's gobbling. Oh, which is interesting.
7: That's the hunter. No, no this is no, the turkey. That's that's a, a turkey. That's a turkey. That's a hen.
3: That's a hen. Yeah. And if I heard that in the turkey woods with the you know a bunch of pressure around me, I'd be like, that's a dude on one of those gobble yeah, things, the gobble you know? shakers. Yeah. So that's a real turkey. This this is right here.
5: It's almost
7: like uh, a jake uh, gobble, too. Yeah. Kind of half-hearted.
0: Okay, one of the things we wanted to do in heading into this is, and uh, in heading into talking about some of this is um, we're trying to get our favorite turkey biologist, Mike Chamberlain. What's his What's his Instagram thing called? Super interesting, man. Oh, I love his posts. Wild turkey doc. Dude, they should have it be that he's the only person that can be on Instagram. <laughs> like, well, Instagram should just be his thing and everybody has to follow it. Yeah, because it's like, it's just like information.
7: Useful, applicable information. I like how he apologizes too for like being too long. Like he knows, he knows like how much people can tolerate and how much they want to read. He'll he'll, he'll yeah. a lot of times he'll be like, all right, it's a little bit longer this Tuesday. He only gives you one a week.
3: Yeah, what's this thing his, called? His handle is Wild Turkey Doc. Yeah, just one word. And yeah, I highly recommend checking him out. Instagram
0: should be called Wild Turkey Doc. <laughs> and when you go it's just his stuff. And no you can't start like an account and start putting your own stupid stuff up there. It's just his stuff. <laughs> so Corinne asked him a question. we' were curious because we I don't think we asked him this before uh, we're, Corinne wanted we wanted to ask him mainly um, what is going through a turkey's mind when it's being called at? Right. We do all the talking about like mimicking the sounds, but what might be on the turkey? Like the the one receiving the noise, what is it really capable? Is it really sitting there being like, hmm, hmm? Is
7: that a person? Or what? Yeah, or is it like, is it telling me to come? Is it telling me to go? Is it telling me that there's good food over there? Right? Like trying yeah. To does it just... sound like sex, 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 sex? <laughs> <laughs> or food, 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 food? food.
6: <laughs> That's old Betty Lou over there. I remember her from last year.
8: <laughs> Steve was dying to know what on earth is going through a turkey's mind when it's called at.
2: Well, that is a good question. Unfortunately, we can't interview turkeys, so it's hard to know with certainty what they think or perceive when we call to them. But what we do know is that turkeys at least partially recognize each other based on their calls. We also know that because of the way hearing works in birds that they perceive calls differently than we do. So you you kinda need to think about so how does a turkey hear? If you understand how they hear, then I think it helps kind of navigate, well, what are they perceiving? So yeah. turkeys, they don't have an external ear like we do. So they don't have flaps on the outside of their ears that help funnel sound into their inner ear canals. You can see the ear canal on the side of their head. It's kind of just below and behind their eyes. But without an external ear flap, they have to come up or or they have to use different ways of determining direction and distance to sounds. So what what turkeys do is a sound comes into one ear and the ear registers the volume of the sound and the other ear acts independently to register a different volume to that sound. And if you watch turkeys, you'll see them do this. They constantly are turning their heads. Mm Mm-hmm that allows them to determine, because they can figure out through that volume adjustment, where is the sound coming from? Left, right, up, down. And as they turn their head, it helps them kind of refine where exactly is that sound coming from. And Mm -hmm. and turkey hunters will tell you, you know, they have this uncanny ability to just pinpoint the exact distance to a sound. And the, the way they do that is because those sounds are coming in their ears and being registered by the brain differently than we hear sound. And because we also know that birds in general hear different frequencies in calls than we do, we call to a bird and there's a very simple yelp, 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 or whatever sound we make, and they hear that differently because they can perceive different frequencies than we can. So you you kind of factor that into the equation combined with the way that they hear sounds in the, in their ears. And that allows them to perceive much more complex messages in calls than us humans are capable of perceiving. So we don't really know. Again, I've never been able to interview a, a Tom to ask him, but we do know that birds in general and turkeys obviously hear their world differently than we do. So we know because of how acute their hearing is, and because of the way their hearing works, they can pinpoint direction of sound with precision. And a person once told me, he was a a famous turkey researcher that imprinted birds and and watched their behavior. He told me that turkeys have an incredible sense of place. And Mm. what he meant by that was they hear a sound and they know exactly not only the direction from which that sound came, but where that sound originated from on the landscape. They essentially have a GPS and they can pinpoint that call or that sound came from that spot and they can go to that spot. And, and we wow. see this really commonly in some of our research where we are tracking hunters and turkeys simultaneously. So we we have toms that are running around with GPS units on and we have hunters that are carrying a GPS in their jacket,
8: Uh
2: it's bizarre, but turkey hunters have, we know this occurs, but we've had numerous situations where a a person ends up calling to a bird from a spot, Uh leaves because the turkey doesn't show up, and three or four hours later, the bird ends up at the exact same spot the hunter was
8: sitting. Incredible. And
2: and that just tells you that the bird knew exactly where that call was coming from. Yeah. yeah. It just wasn't in his routine that morning to walk over to that sound. He said, "You know what? I'll go check that out a few hours from now because my morning routine is I'm going over here and do this, and then I'll I'll get back to to that sound." So
8: to take a little detour, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And we, and I've actually put some maps out on social media showing what that looks like. It's really crazy. They they'll end up hours down the road, right where you were sitting.
8: Wow.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, why, that's why God made naps.
6: <laughs> 100%.
0: Like, I'll, I'll often make the mistake of having my nap somewhere else. Like, you go off to a good nap spot. But what you should do is your last call session at nap time, you should pick a good spot. I'll sometimes do this. Like, a good little Heidi spot where you can call, nothing comes,
3: and then take your nap right there. I'm gonna read a book about that. I'll, I'll tell you a story of a choosing a bad nap spot. <laughs> Please, mm, Yanni was there. This was what two seasons ago when we took Maggie and Tracy hunting turkey hunting mm. for the show. Um, the The turkey that Maggie and Yanni were after, we called to, and then he ended up drifting away, and we laid down and took a nap. And I woke up to a turkey putting, and opened my eyes and the turkey's standing two feet from Maggie. Oh, he had come. He had come and was standing like she could have reached over and smacked the bird. Just like Dr. Chamberlain was saying. Yeah. No kidding, man. Just walked right into us. There's a bunch of people sleeping there.
0: You know, uh, what else I'm thinking about as he's answering this question is this idea that you know when we look at deer, what deer see, right? Like when you look at your setup, camo and all that, like, you're looking at it you. You have like an idea of what it looks like, but then you get into how deer's eyes are, or ducks' eyes are, or whatever. Their experience is probably totally different. Like you can't even you you'll never maybe not ever, I can't foresee where you would look through a thing that shows you what it sees, but from all indications are it is not seeing what you see. Yep. And so you, you you're sort of like extrapolating, you know. I think that's why trial and error is so expensive. You can't just look and be like that's hidden. It's it has to be more like uh, I, I've done this thing and here's what, how the animals respond. I've done this thing and here's how the animals respond. I don't know what it is. I can't replicate it, but I'm learning that this type of thing really gets their attention. Yeah, you know this type of thing they just look right through. Um, Abernathy, who's a biologist, was saying one time he would talk about iridescence on birds and bird. He's I know he's talking about what they hear, but he's talking about bird vision. And, um he thinks that when a turkey looks at a turkey, it just is not seeing what you see in terms of the iridescence on those feathers
4: so when they so when they're looking at like a foam decoy versus a real bird, it might not even look close, even though to our eye, it looks like another yeah. turkey it's not not what he's seeing. He thinks
0: that fan is just screaming at that turkey.
4: I agree. I would, I think. It's like fireworks going on. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And then like now back at home, like the big things, like real turkey, like stuffer decoys, you carry mm-hmm. like a full mounted bird around with you. And then that way you get the full, you know, you got a real bird sitting there. But yeah, I wonder if, you see, but like you said, it comes back to testing. Like you have to test that over and over and over out in the field to see if it works any better.
0: He, he was very early, long time ago, this Abernathy he started messing around with, Real turkey feather decoys. And he just took a decoy and got a hot glue gun and glued the feathers onto the thing. And he had one with him when I was hunting with him in Florida. And I can't remember what he said. He said something like, 32 turkeys have seen this decoy and they're all dead. <laughs> wow. That's <a> good result. <laughs> that works.
8: What constitutes a quote-unquote good call versus a bad call?
2: We have, well, let's say we. As a human being, I can listen to a call and think, oh, that sounded pretty good. But we have absolutely no idea what a turkey thinks is a good call (laughs) or a bad call. And any turkey hunter can tell you this if they've hunted enough that you'll use one call and get no response whatsoever. And you take a different call out of your vest and all of a sudden there's a bird that's gobbling and he's right Mm -hmm. there. Why didn't he call to the first call and he did to the second or... Another experience we've all had is you start calling and suddenly there's a bird, a hen that's nearby and she's mad as hell Mm -hmm. and she approaches you and starts cutting at you and yelping at you and we don't know what she's thinking, but presumably because we know they recognize each other based on their calls, she either doesn't recognize you and wonders why you're there Or she thinks she recognizes you and she doesn't want you there. I mean, that's the two logical (laughs) assumptions I have. Either way, for whatever reason, that call caused her to get upset and she comes and tries to find you so that she can tell you that she's upset. So we don't really know. I mean, I can call okay now, but I killed turkeys years ago when my calling sucked. I thought it sucked, (laughs) but (laughs) there was a bird out there that didn't agree with me and thought, hey... That sounds pretty good, and I think a lot of it goes back to the ecology of the bird because a hen, she's thinking in her mind she's geared to reproduce and lay a nest Mm -hmm. and hatch in the spring. She has grown up around other turkeys, and she recognizes their calls, and she recognizes what they look like. That's the other way that that we think Mm -hmm. turkeys recognize each other is based on their heads which is one reason why you'll often see turkeys when they're fighting, they're pecking at each other's heads because that's their form of recognition. So Mm -hmm. you have a hen who's geared towards reproduction, and she is going to be by herself and spend part of the spring alone. She's been gregarious prior to that, meaning she's been in a group prior to that, and she recognizes everybody in her group. Mm -hmm. The toms, on the other hand, they're geared towards reproduction solely. And their fitness improves by breeding more hens. So the more hens I can breed, the more fit I am. Mm -hmm. So in his mind, he may not care whether he's hearing Sally or Janet or (laughs) Susan or whoever. (laughs) He's just thinking I can reproduce with that sound and that's a good thing (laughs) so it makes sense that toms would be more responsive to a wider variety Mm -hmm, of calls you know a a crappy call or you know a a world champion grand champion caller (laughs) because they're thinking with reproduction on the you know on the mind that's the way I kind of I kind of look at it
8: given how acute turkey hearing is you know, do we do we need to screech at them at, at the fi- figuratively the, the top of our lungs? And we when we call to them, do we really need to be like that loud and obnoxious?
2: Um. Well, there are going to be some people that disagree with this, but no, no, we don't. There are situations where using a really loud call when you're trying to locate a bird, maybe the wind's blowing or you're you're trying to project sound in the environment at distance to hope that he can hear you, mm-hmm. yes, that's grounds for squawking away. But if you're fairly close to a bird, and I, when I say fairly close, several hundred yards, you don't need to call loudly. This bird can hear very, very subtle sounds. And and we've all probably been in this situation where you, you're scratching the leaves or you reach over to pick up your call and you make a noise and, and a bird gobbles. I tend to call louder than I think I probably need to. And Mm. the reason I say that is one of the best turkey hunters that I've ever been around. He calls so soft that I can barely hear him when I'm sitting with him. And that's, that's the truth. It's crazy. And before I started hunting with this guy, I tended to call much louder than he, he does. And I was successful. It worked. It worked. But sometimes it didn't, and when this guy calls, he calls so softly and so subtly that I'm serious, I'm sitting 10 yards from him. It's it's so soft that I can barely hear the notes, and yet birds Hmm. come right to us. In fact, I don't even call when I hunt with this guy anymore. I just let him call because what few times we hunted together last year, we had birds in front of us almost every single time. So it was like, well, you do the calling. I've also been in situations where I, I made calls and just scratched in the leaves or did something really subtle, really quiet, and birds are responding from hundreds of yards away. Hmm. And and then kind of back to some of the other things we've talked about, that allows a bird, because they can hear so well, that allows them that GPS, that internal GPS to figure out that's where that scratching in the leaves came from. I'm going over there and I'll I'll check that out. I do think, in general, we tend to call too much because the bird, once they hear you, they know where you're at. They know, okay, well, that call came from right over there. So once the bird realizes you're there, in my opinion, you're better off to call quietly, if at all, once they've responded because they know you're there and -hmm. they know exactly how to get to you on their own terms, which unfortunately often ends up with them winning and us losing. But They know how to get to where you are with precision.
0: Man, I'll tell you all this talk about the randomness of it or the crazy noises. There is because I've just seen it so many times. People that are just so good, like Jason. You know, you've talked to Guy Zuck, right? Yep. Like I've just I've gone out hunting with Guy Zuck, or I've gone out and hunted all morning on a place. Okay, with whatever results. Sometimes good, sometimes not. But then guy will be in the afternoon like, oh, let's go take a walk. And he'll just go out and like starts calling, you know, to get a gobble. And it's like someone putting like a ton of pressure, squeezing a zit, man. Because he'll just keep like very quietly just like going, 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 going. And all of a sudden, like it's like the thing just like can't. Like he lays it out in the way that the bird just cannot help itself. Like when that dude goes out, he's going to call in a turkey. Morning or afternoon? Is he tricking you with timing? So like the old timer <laughs> No,
4: no. The old timers, like the old timers, like we were always the young bucks. Like get up, you want to hear all the birds on the roost? Just get that, you know, that fun in. And then the old timer, he's like back at camp eating breakfast, drinking his coffee. He's gonna let all of us come back, take our nap. He's gonna go out at noon and kill the
0: bird. No, this isn't the, the old. This oh, is the old isn't, noon trick. Okay, this, this is like just, the uh, this is like the four or five o'clock. Not he's just gonna get him. New he just he just like I don't know.
7: He's talks, a good call. Talks turkey. Experience. That's what it comes down to.
0: Does he do anything different? Like, I don't, dude, don't know. Do Just the mood. I think there's like a lot of mood reading. Also, the dude lives on the property, right? Yeah. Right. So he kind of knows like where people are, yeah. and people meeting the turkeys. He probably had some of the
4: GPS trackers on that sucker yeah. <laughs> and you didn't know it. So I was like, we're just going to keep. But no, I, you know, kind of going back to what he said, like, you know, even like scratching the leaves, like, is there something that like a Jake. You know, like, do the different birds as they mature, do they start to hear different? Can they differentiate between like sounds? Like, that's one of the things I've always, you know, I'm just kind of the nerd out there under the tree. Like, why can't I get this three year old bird to break away, but yet these Jake's come running in? You know, of course, it, they're, they're hinned up or whatnot, but you always wonder, like, as they mature, do they become smarter or do their ears become better? Or is it just truly a, you know, uh, I'm an, I need to breed all these hens. So I'm not worried about that hen that's over there in the brush. Yeah. Um, you know, like, how do you break that code? Um, But that's why, you know, I kind of mentioned timing because, you know, turkey hunting timing is huge. Like, go let all those hens go lay. Now you have a bored-ass tom sitting out in the field or, you know, I don't got anything to do. So now you strike him up at midday and that tom, more so than elk, more so than any other animal, just because the way that they have to lay on that that clutch of eggs, you know, it's like, bam, you can get that tom that you fought with all morning for the last week straight, but you go hit him at noon and that thing's going
0: to come in just like that. Yeah, I feel like it's, uh, we talked about this before, but it's like, to not go out at daybreak feels dishonorable. I don't like it. Yeah. But then there's a lot said, just like lay around and go out there at 10. But you feel like you're coming in in the middle of a conversation. I agree. Yeah. So tell people what's going on with Phelps Game Calls, man.
4: Oh, so um, we announced, what, it was almost two weeks ago now, that, uh, yeah, you're my new boss. Can I call you boss? Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh,
0: I, I would prefer to say that we're colleagues. Okay, now. colleagues. Yeah. Coworkers. Co- we're, we're co-workers. So, so we're co-workers. No, we're colleagues
4: um, now. So we, we're, we're going to be able to talk about turkey calls, right? This will be the first time I can finally like talk about the turkey call. Line. Let it rip, man. So August 17th, I, me and Dirk drove over last year. or No, it was just me this time. Just you. August 17th, talk about this turkey call line that we had tried to launch, I think, two years ago and never really got feet off the ground. And um, I was here and... I think Garrett at that time went, took me out to breakfast. Hey, would you ever be interested in, you know, talking about some Phelps game calls? And I remember that distinctly. No. I am not interested. You right did, I yeah. I never heard that. Yeah, so I told Garrett, no, Dirk Durham. Were you there for that conversation? I was, no, no. Wasn't. We're sitting out there on really? the so- at the at the Western on the sidewalk eating breakfast,
0: and I didn't know we approached you, and you were like, uh uh-uh. uh No,
4: so wait, wait, we gotta wait like four more hours. So then, me, <laughs>
0: <laughs> me. So you're you're not a man of convictions. No, no, no.
4: Well, I, you know, it's like. Is maybe playing your cards right? Like you don't want to just come out like, heck yeah,
6: I'm looking to maybe move on or do something. We thought maybe you sent the guys out to like go feel out film yeah, yeah, oh, like yeah, test yeah, the yeah. waters a little bit. Yeah. So you're,
4: <laughs> I'm like, no, not really. I'm I'm kind of happy where we're at. I'd love to you know get this project going with you guys though. And then fast forward like four hours later, we go to lunch with Josh and Garrett, and Josh brings the question up. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'd be willing to entertain it. Like, what's it look like? <laughs> and so I was just uh, and then it it got some legs from there and. um I can remember like on the mountain all September. Uh, like I, I was with Yanni in Colorado and they're like, yeah, Josh is like, yeah, Yanni, I don't know if he knows yet. Like, you know, we don't need to talk about it. So like we're sitting here hunting, like, I don't know if Yannis knows at this time or I'm supposed to say anything. And then by the time we get like to New Mexico, um, like I'm sending, like trying to sign PDFs so that we can open the books up. And so it was throughout the fall, I've spent pretty much the last four or five months of my life, like getting this deal kind of straight with everybody. And uh yeah, and now we're here with kind of what launched this whole thing and uh, releasing the Meat Eater X Phelps um, Turkey Call line.
0: Yeah, and you're gonna um, you're staying on board. That was a stipulation. Oh yeah, yeah. No, and that's. I remember you saying you'd sign a twenty year contract. Yeah.
4: I, I wanted I wanted to. I, I'm worried they said five years, and I think I'm gonna once they got everything from me, they're gonna kick me to the curtain. No, I'm just joking. but But uh, no, it, it's good. Um, you know, I'm I'm one of those guys. I describe the situation like you know, back when Howie Mandel ran, like let's make a deal. Like I'm the guy. As soon as that got to, like six figures on the board, I was running. You know, and so it's like I, I put a lot of work in, and and with the kids kind of growing up and stuff, it's like man, I would you know what the the help that the meat eater team can give me, and it's still like you know whether we want to dive deep into it, like the financial side, like every year, like no matter how successful we were, it's like, man, here we are again, like getting ready for next year and and like the bank accounts draw, you know, to produce that next year. And it was a little bit of like, man, we're doing a great job. We have, we're turning big numbers every year, but it's just like the financial stress. And so like talking with, you know, the the team getting through there, I'm like, man, I think this is where I want to go. I want to have a little bit more of my life back. Um, all my kids know is this business as we, me and my wife have, you know, with, with friends and family have built this thing. And it's just basically, a, I want to, you know, enjoy this, this little bit and, and still do a lot of the cool stuff. And, um, you know, I had two diabetics, my wife and my son are both type one, like juvenile onset. And so like, I couldn't leave my state job. Like there were all these things and, and like, it couldn't have been more perfect. Like when yeah, yeah. we started talking to the meat eater team, like, man, you know, the benefits are good. This is good. This is good. And, and it's just going to work out. You, as we've mentioned in, in some of the other things, like it's the right team, I think to, to grow this thing and, and do some cool stuff. So
0: when I would tell people about, what we we're leading up to, and I would talk about how, you know, how you guys are such renowned callers, and it, in some ways kind of like revolutionized elk calling in a way, and also grew up hunting like the hard elk. Yep, like hunting the shittiest elk in the world. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and I, like learned how to do that.
4: Are right? they
7: really known to be the yeah I, really really tough elk? So and, and I don't like wanna,
4: the, the like the well go ahead. I mean, you know. I don't want to throw any of the the big hunters under the bus, you know. But you see the. Back when we were growing up, the the you know the Sportsman's Channel, the the Outdoor Channel, hunters, the big elk hunters, we all looked up to. Yeah, you know, can I mention names? i get, uh, like I you know, you, you'd see like the Will Primos, the yeah, where well, they would go and yeah, film it at these famous yeah, ranches. And, now there's
0: anything wrong with going to the famous ranches,
4: but yeah, so they you know they were the elk hunters. Like I looked up to Will. Like I watched as soon as the truth came out. Like I was driving to my local sunbirds. I was buying the DVD, so I go pop it in and watch it. And then as I grew up, like spots where we were successful. You know, J- Dirk isn't in the same stuff I'm in, but he probably some of the other hardest elk in the world to hunt, aside from the coastal jungle. But you would watch these, you know, proclaimed. Elk hunters come and just get their butts kicked on the coast. You know, everything there wants to bite you, eat you, it's wet, it's... And, and, you know, people have just struggled on the coast to kill these, you know, tiniest Roosevelt's in the world. You know, their bodies are huge, but we've got these little, you know, I've killed mule deer that are bigger than most of my bulls. I killed my backyard, but they are hard, hard elk
0: to hunt. And so... And the, I mean, the the densities are so much lower. Like, everything about it, you can't see there it's not like, oh, here comes the 300 of them out into the alfalfa field. You know, it's just like a different kind of, yeah. And, and I grew up, you know, hunting industrial timberland. So
4: it wasn't any of the, you know, hunting down on the hayfield or down the alfalfa field. It was, you know, beaten brush, you know, down on the bottom of big canyons, you know, devil's club, anything that would bite you, poke you, stab you, um, you know, ferns up to your chin. It was just, (laughs) that's how we grew up elk hunting. And, and, you know, it's like, I loved it, but, um, it was definitely tough, especially, you know, getting to, to, to start hunting elk all over the West. Now I'm like, man, that was, that was tough compared to some of this other stuff. You might as well just leave your binoculars in your truck. Um, mm-hmm. it was just that kind of hunt. And do then, you still hunt Washington every year? I haven't. I've, I've got a lot of pressure to come back though. Like it's, Oh yeah, you got to go to all these other States and draw these tags and do this. And, and there's a lot of pressure on me, I think to eventually come back and. and when was the last time you hunted Washington? 2013. You don't have this little. Oh local, wow. You don't have little local honey holes. Oh, yet? so I I take that back. Like for myself, the last time 2013, one when, when some hunting partners or stuff will get like a muzzleloader tag, and I've got time, we'll go out and. and oh, hunt. Got you. So um, you know, my wife drew a good tag in 17, so I hunted there. But you know, it's it only had so much time up until now with vacation, you know, and trying to squeeze the hunts in. Yep. So, um, yeah, I'll eventually come back and, and hunt you know home. I haven't hunted with my dad um, and my uncles um for a long time um you know aside from like a weekend trip maybe to just to go out with them so i want to get back and you know do that once before they get too old
0: when i'd talk to people about it too i would say like man he built the business in his backyard you know and Literally. i mean and i mean and by that i mean he built the business in his backyard yeah no it was <laughs>
4: it, it i shouldn't even tell on myself cuz it's a little embarrassing but it, it it was just that it was the way we had to do it like we'd go to package calls and you know my mom or my wife, they were doing the majority of the packaging. Um, and like, they would go into my closet. Like I had, I had, uh, you know, like my racks of of finished calls were like sitting in my closet. Like, here's the, <laughs> here's the clothes that I wear to work. And then here's like the calls that we need to send out. Like, as it grew. And and that was just kind of what we had to do. We, we started it all in a 36 by 30. It was literally my garage. We kicked all the vehicles out, kicked everything out, all the four wheelers, everything. And like, nope, this is, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it this way. And we, we made it
0: work. Someone pointed out to me. I didn't even realize this, but someone pointed out to me too um, that the customer service number was your cell phone.
4: It still is. <laughs> <laughs> <No, no. laughs> we're we're in the process of getting that transferred over, but if. If you call the number on the back of the packaging, and that's why I would always pretend like we were bigger than we were, right? So, <laughs> Did
6: you use people, an accent when you dance Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh, let me transfer that to Jason if you need to talk to him. Um, you know, like people are always surprised, like, oh, I didn't expect to get you on the line. I'm like, yeah, the customer service must have forwarded. They, like have the calls forwarded to me right now or something because you know, he didn't want to look that podunk that your cell phone number. But you know, my cell phone number, we're working on getting that changed because it lives on all of our packaging, so it was easier just to get me a new phone number. Dude, um, that's but, hilarious. But, but, yeah, oh, he's man. not
7: lying. A buddy of mine, who I told him <laughs> to go get some fellas game calls, he had I, I don't know what, what, what it was, but he, he had something. I said he had a problem. I said, you should just call the customer service. I'm sure they'll take care of you. And then he got back to me and he's like, you know, I think I talked to Jason himself. <laughs>
4: so, yeah, I'm gonna for, I'm gonna just auto forward everything to Dirk. Well,
6: I get quite a few of those too. So yeah, Dirk Dirk handled the started to handle most of the email customer service stuff though. My number's on there for some of that stuff for uh, like for dealers, but some people I think they just call numbers till they pick get somebody, yep. and they're like who. <laughs> hey man! <laughs> so now, I, I saw listen. you on the internet. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah,
4: but you know, back, it was just cool. It, it's cool to be part of the family. Um, we were able to bring everybody along, um, and, and a lot of people. I think, and, and maybe I can clear up from our side. Maybe you guys don't care, but. Like a lot of our followers may be different than, than the meat eater followers. And and I think the most asked question is, oh, you guys are going to change. We're going to become, you know, meat eater-ish. And I've, I've told everybody, like, it's been more important to you guys than it has to me because I want to be able to, like, do some of the cool stuff you do. or like, why do you guys, you know, this post is cool. And, like, it's been more important to the people I've dealt with that we stay Phelps game calls. We we use our quick wit. We use our, um, you know, like your guys' marketing plan. They, they don't think we have quick wit? No, no, I think you do, oh. but like
7: they want us to <laughs> Yeah, I wanna know what becoming meat eater ish means. I don't know what that I don't know what they
4: expect from that, but like it's been told to us multiple times. Like we want you guys to make a post and maybe have a misspelled word or you know like we want you to you know like oh like, we like, spell the polished good. the polished me you guys know uh, how to spell me and Dirk are from the Our th- from vocabulary the is too good yep
0: yeah. there's probably some software you can do to just make sure that all the words get misspelled man <laughs> no so it's you're gonna start throwing around salient I don't I see
4: <laughs> so you guys in all your big words are like super intimidating for,
0: for a guy from PO uh, so no no uh, so you always been into elk? How long have you been into turkey
4: hunting? I I was talking to somebody this morning. I, I probably my passion was probably higher for turkeys early on than it was for elk. Okay, um, no kidding. It was more it was more attainable. Um, you know, I I grew up a rifle elk hunter. Um, so as a kid, like calling to turkeys was the thing, and so I can remember in junior high. Like I was a nerd that would sit and print off like a hundred page report on like calling turkeys and like read through it and then try to mimic, you know, what was out there. And so, you know, my first passion may have been turkeys before I got crazy into elk calling. Um, You know, my, my turkey call collection, like I still have a big ammo case full of just all the turkey calls. I would buy way more than I needed. And, and um, around home, it was tough though, because we have probably the hardest turkey in the world to hunt. And I'm, I'm saying that without doing a bunch of research, but in the Washington state, they have three species. We have the Easterns, the Rio, and the Merriam. They've decided to put the Easterns on the west side of the state where I live, where it's wet and very, very poor like, reproduction rate. Um, so a lot of what's left is there. But I mean, we would spend our entire uh, March, April just trying to find one or two birds to hunt. Um, and so just finding them was a the tough part. Calling them in and killing them was actually way easier than finding them because the hen numbers were so low. Um, oh, I got you. you. just start cranking on a yelp and that bird was at your feet. Um, and so we kind of you know cut our teeth on some of those those birds that were extremely tough to hunt. And then as I got older, got a car, got to drive over to Eastern Washington. The place is, is pretty dang good. And like, all right, this is what real turkey hunt's supposed to be. You know, you could get on a bird, switch birds, you know, four or five times in a morning, and, and get a ton of experience real quick. It's
0: uh, it's interesting how turkeys went for so many people in the country, particularly in the west and in the far north, where you didn't have. Our dads weren't didn't hunt turkeys, yep. you know? So in Michigan, t- I remember early on, I remember when I still lived there, that there'd be draw tags, right? Now you hunt the whole, you know, pretty much no matter where you live, you can get a turkey tag and hunt. But it being like a big deal, like so-and-so got a turkey tag and they're driving up north to hunt a turkey. Yep. And I left around that time. So I never hunted turkeys as a kid. Yep. And then even when I moved to Western Montana, I remember when the units out there, I put in one year and drew a tag when it was like they were giving out like 20 tags up in region one or two or something portions of it right and and no one knew about it and drawn the thing and no like no being raised in the north and living out west sort of like no institutional knowledge about it right like wasn't raised by a turkey hunter mm-hmm. and, and so many guys in the southeast and areas of the south, it just has always been a thing. Yep. Like they never missed the seasons, but in these places where turkeys had to be reintroduced or flat out introduced, it was as much. So I feel like I've kind of uh, almost discovered it and studied it in a way where, even though I've been doing it for a long time now, it, it like still feels kind of new. There's still an excitement about it. Um, I think I I didn't kill my first turkey. I mean I'm 47 now, so I've been hunting turkeys every year very avidly for 20 years which sounds like oh that's a long career of turkey hunting but to me it still feels new yeah because I just like grow up
4: with it you know yeah I've I've been so busy on the big game side like I haven't turkey hunted for like the last six years um you know and so I'm excited to, to get a chance to get back out there and spend a couple weeks chasing birds again but yeah it's it's the same way like more even more so than elk like nobody being an archery elk hunter and knowing how to call them like turkey was completely foreign we had nobody local that hunted them nobody knew how to give us any tips and so it's like you just went to the internet like hey how do you what do you yeah. do how do you make sounds once again old will primos and the truth was like all right i can learn something from these guys and and try to employ some of this and and came up with our own strategies but heck i don't even know i mean we've killed a lot of birds and we're really successful but i don't even know if i'm if we're doing it right or whatever right is um you know we're just super aggressive like elk hunters we get close we scare a bird we get closer we try it and who knows if it's right
0: to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Man, I just got a new truck. Before I even drove my new truck anywhere, I wasn't going to drive it anywhere until I put a deck system in it. That's how, that's what a believer I am in decked. I always thought they were a great deal, but now they're even better because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't. Know, they seem great to me. Just an improvement on perfection. The new system made in the USA gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right into your truck bed. You still have a truck bed you can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like you still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D-rings. The D-rings are built in. The drawer system fits any truck or van on the road in the USA from the last 20 plus years. Deck is a game changer. There's no more like leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck out of the way and secure. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping.
4: I'm going to get yelled at for this. Dirk's probably going to slap me, but like to me it's, it's like elk hunting in, in the spring. Like it, we use the same exact strategies, we locate them, we go get close. Um, aside from not having to, you know, fluff the wind checker, um, it's pretty much the same game um, for a lot of parts. And, and so I love that, that being able to talk, kind of control the bird and then um, be able to be aggressive. Yeah, and,
7: Remy Warren's blood pressure is rising right he now. He doesn't like yeah. that.
0: <laughs> but I, but I, I get it. Yeah, because it, it's, it's an audio experience. Yeah. Um, not grow. When we first started hunting turkeys in, the I guess, the mid-90s, uh, we did like I guess anybody would you know we'd go out and get a box call I remember going out we were so naive about it back then getting a box call and going out and not having chalk and pulverize I'm not kidding you man sitting there with my brother pulverizing sandstone with rocks into a dust that we could then rub on there to try to get some more notes out of it <laughs> I'm, I'm not joking, man. And then typically just losing patience and then doing belly crawls. Oh, yeah. And it was fun over time because at first, like, we would go out and we would glass them up and just kind of hang, like, almost like if you're, you know, again, like, to go to the elk thing. It'd be like the strategy of, like, kind of finding a herd, seeing what they're doing and trying to just, like, make something happen by nudging out in front of them. We would go out and, and just try to, like, do stuff. Ditch crawl. Ambush them, yep. bushwhack them, and then gradually being like, Holy shit, you can call these things in. And how much, and just how much fun it became. And to be where now, um, I just don't, I don't bushwhack them. Yep, Like I don't bushwhack them. Is there any problem? Not that I won't, but I, it's not, I, maybe I kind of won't. See, I killed that- a crippled one the other year that I jumped up, but that was crippled. See, even as a call maker, like as much
4: as I want to show the calls off, there's something that I absolutely love about being able to sneak in on a on a flock of turkeys, Um, you know. And I'm gonna put the disclaimer out there: it's not necessarily the safest way because who knows if somebody's calling to them. But if you know you're in a patch of timber or a wooded area, you know, or an area that there's not a bunch of other turkey hunters, um, I love to like do that call and you know sneak, call and sneak, and call and sneak, and then you know, eventually, you know, kind of fool their eyes and, and ears as well, um, aside from calling. So I still, as much as I do, like you said, love to call him in. I, there's still something about, like, tracking a turkey down and, like, beating his, maybe his best defense. Yeah, you know, you're pretty eyes. sneaky,
7: sneaky hunter if you can sneak up to within shotgun range of a turkey. I'm
4: built for being sneaky. I have the right <laughs> size and stature. To... <laughs> no, it's it, it's fun. I love calling them, but... Um, you know, it's like there's there's part of me that still sometimes like, especially once they get me a couple of times, and I'm frustrated. I'm like, all right, I'm just gonna go track you down and kill you.
0: What uh, when we were working on, so we set to a project a while ago of doing, because um, we're all huge like here, the, us folks that spell real good, and <laughs> are slow uh, <laughs> slow witted, <laughs> are oh boy, very interested in turkey hunting. And so we hit on an idea to tr- to start trying to, like, work up that we would have, like, a line of turkey calls. that, And the thing we talk about would be that um, I like to think about and then doing it, stuff that, like, gets people up and running. For me, because earlier I was telling the story of just trying to, like, figure it out, you know, and learn how to be, like, basically proficient. Because you could be a phenomenal caller, like I was talking about guys up being a phenomenal caller, but I'm almost kind of surprised by the fact that every spring, I, like, dumbass me, like, every spring, I'm able to kill a handful of turkeys by a combination of um, understanding the birds, working the habitat, right? Like, taking their mood, but also just being able to do, the, the like, at the right time, the right amount of calling. You know, and that's been hard to learn, man. Yeah, and I think to the and 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 learning how to like just get like basically proficient at calls can be a challenging process. For sure, Um, I I like try to be pretty open about the fact that like it's not like I just pick them up and kick ass, but I've gotten to the point where with the right stuff I can make the right noise and kill turkeys. Yep.
4: Yeah, and I think that's that's important to, to note is you know, everybody picks one up and they need to be the best. It's like, is you know, as the interview earlier, you just need to, I, I think cadence is important. And as you mentioned, you know, being in the right spot at the right time, making the right decisions, um, being, you know, extremely patient. Like I'm not very patient, and so it's, it's ruined a lot of turkey hunts for me or, or where I would have been successful quicker. But, yeah, I don't think you need to be able to pick these up and be the best caller out there. You don't need to be, you know, willing or able to go, you know, take first or second on the stage or whatever it may be. You just need to be able to make the sounds and, and be more confident in making the sounds. That, that um, was a really- point I
0: wanted to make, man, is uh, getting to that level of confidence where when you're in a good situation, um, having the confidence to then do what you need to do. Yep. Because – Like, you just don't want to do it and have, like, some crazy sound that's just so far off it's not going to work. But getting to where you're comfortable, like, at the right moment, I'll be able to do it. Yeah, there's
4: a lot of turkey hunters. feel cocky. Yeah, I think a lot of guys will get set up, and they're so scared to make a sound. They're like, well, we'll just take our chances. Like, if that bird decides to walk by, we'll kill him. If not, we're just not going to make a sound, you know? Um, And they'll just be silent. And I'm like, well, you at least need to get to the point on whether it's a box, a pot, like, uh, you know, something, you need to be able to at least make a sound so that bird knows you're there and, and draws their attention to that spot. Otherwise, just sitting there, you know, your chances are, are really low.
0: I think, I, you know, I'm actually wearing my meat eater T-shirt right now that shows the probability of a turkey just walking by you if you do nothing.
4: <laughs> what's, the, what's the percentage?
0: It just depends, but it winds up being in this scenario, I think you have like a 9% chance that he'll just walk by you.
4: <laughs> Within shooting range
0: it's like all the computations to figure out um its distance from you you just sit there and it's distance from you and then if you factor in just all these kind of things what are the odds that it'll pass within shotgun range at various distances as it goes about its day as it goes about its day coming, coming, it coming its out day. of his
7: roost that's from the uh, roost yeah it's coming from
0: a fixed uh, a fixed point you, claw, you crawl into 70 yards. This is the question. You can see that we have a lot of different... That's that. That's this computated?
3: Yeah, that's the turkey one up there. That's
0: it? a computation, the same thing. It'd be that you crawl within 70 yards of a turkey on its roost and do nothing. What are the odds that it'll pass within shotgun range? So 30 yards on either side of you.
7: Yeah, I think it was like 9 or
0: 12%. I had a guy... I was cleaning fish one day in Michigan, and there's a guy looking at this shirt, and... He says, you know, that's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And he's the one that sent. I can't remember one of these around. Here's the one he sent.
7: Oh, I didn't know that those aren't from the same person. He's like, I don't. He
0: goes, I see what they're doing, but I wouldn't do it that way. And he sent us a new formula. It's somewhere around here. Either way. It's it's better to try to do something. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> up your odds.
1: Yeah.
0: It's better to try something. Exactly. And in yeah. order to try something, you got to have the confidence to do it. Yep. So uh, when, when you're going to talk about making calls a little bit, kind of like what, like how you make them. What the hell is a turkey call? So,
4: like specifics. Because I mean, walk, walk you, through the whole walk through the whole okay, arsenal, man. So there's there's multiple ways to get to what sounds like a turkey, and I'm not gonna you know. I'm not going to say that I developed any of this. It's it's trying to perfect it and make it sound right and and most of all easy to use. But in this lineup, we've got a box call, which is maybe the oldest form of calling turkeys out there. You know, two pieces of wood, um, the friction between them, um, making a turkey sound, a Yelp sound, cluck, purr. Um, We've got diaphragms, which I think are probably the most popular out there. Um, You You think so? I think. Well, I think they're the most used. Um, Maybe they're not the most. Popular, but they're the most used. Yeah, um, I think
7: they're they're the one that everybody aspires to because it's hands hands free.
4: free. That's where I was going to get. I mean, when we're calling a bird in, like I've only ever called one bird into the gun with a box call, and I was scared to death, but it would only answer that one call because there's so much movement. Like you can't like oh, sit yeah. there and not make movement. Same with a pot call; like it works great, um, but you got to set somebody up on the other side of the tree or away from you or some deflection so that they're not looking at where the gun's at. Um, but you got the 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 diaphragms, and then we got the pot calls. So
0: it's kind of when you look at the three, if you just stick to the. I mean, there's other things too, like wing bone calls and yep. all this, like little spring loaded boxes. But yep. if you take those, the standards. Yep, these are the standards. It's kind of amazing if you look at them. The wildly different technological approaches to produce. Similar sounds. Those similar sounds. I agree. Like, you think that they would all look, like, a lot like each other. Yep. But they're real different. They might
7: look different, but I think that the, um, you might have to help me here, Jason, but, like, the components are friction. Yep. And then a chamber.
4: Yep, a sound yep. chamber, friction. Aside from the diaphragm, like there were just right, were right, literally. Right, right. Just, but,
7: but all the other ones technically yeah. could fall into that yeah. group of you yeah, know, like friction. the slot
4: calls, the push pins, you know, all of that. Um, you know, wing bone. I back in the day, I tried to make some you know wing bone calls, and I mean that's that's just like air, um, you know, going through the three different leg sections. A guy sent uh, me some
0: beautiful wing bone oh, calls. They're pretty. Oh, yeah, it's fun to mess. Did with they them. sound good? I haven't given it the amount of time, but he sent me a video of him doing it. Yeah, he does nice little clocks on it. Gotcha. Yeah, I've
4: always wondered, like, if there's a uh, uh, you know correlation between like how good they look and how good they sound, or because they make them beautiful. But I'm like, does that? I think it's thing like I, it's, it's, it's like an artisan. It's yeah. like an
0: artisan yeah. thing, man. He yeah. like makes artisan calls, but then he has gone out and killed turkeys with them. Yeah. But it's it's very much a um, yeah. It's like it's more about craft yeah yeah I think than than, than functionality, yeah. but it is interesting you can take a turkey's wing bone, chop it all up, reassemble it, and suck on it, and make like a turkey sound yeah, yeah
4: it's cool. I mean, you could also do that with
0: a hollow stick probably too yeah
4: yeah they've they've manufactured
0: wing bone calls too I mean, that, yeah that, what you're doing on a wing bone calls you're basically like you're, you're everything else is you know other mouth calls you're blowing Yep. on a wing bone call you're you're, you're, inhale, you're basically yep. puckering and sucking, yeah,
7: yeah, it's like a reverse kiss almost.
0: Yeah, it's like you put your mouth on this little tube and go. Yeah, I I had set some wing bone inside one time to do it, and
4: I'm like, it, it was just too too deep, and I'm like, man, I, you can only make certain sounds, and I'm just gonna stick with these ones. So
0: I would. It'd be interesting if you could go back in time to so the 1750, right? And I know you know the you know you know you know like the frontiersmen and Boone's era, like they ate a lot of turkeys. I know they did a lot of roost shooting and whatnot, but were those guys sitting out there sucking on wing bone calls? Or would they have been, oh, shoot them out of the tree, man, in the dark? I think back then when it's just, yeah, I think they were shooting them out of the tree.
4: They just want to eat them. Yeah. And mess around with them This calling. Now it's frowned upon. Uh, Illegal
0: in most states. I think it was Abernathy was telling me a story about an area where there was historically like very few turkeys. And he was saying that someone he knew or some relative of his has a story where they saw a turkey in a tree and came home all excited and went back and shot the turkey down out of the tree and brought it home and it was a buzzard
1: <laughs> oh my god jeez
0: i know but you, it's like that's how rare turkeys
4: were man oh, i'm i don't as much as you guys just laughed i don't want to know if i want to tell this next story oh please i'm a buzzard shooter when i was young um, one of the areas we've had lots of turkeys i was probably high school senior junior in high school um, me and my wife were going on a bike ride or something, kind of just to go check on the turkeys. And sure enough, something flushed up into a tree and I'm like, oh, there's birds here. Like you back out, I'm going to run home and get the shotgun and I'll come back out. And that bird had dropped back down in the field and I kind of snuck through the field and pow. Push whacked him. It was a stinky old buzzard. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh man. But that was, you know, it was season. It was, everything was And yeah, ended up shooting my first buzzard. I don't want to go into detail.
0: But I've had occasion to smell a buzzard. And it's a otherworldly odor. Oh, they're disgusting. Yeah.
4: yeah, it's not good. Anyhow, turkeys. So yeah, back to the call. So yeah, we've got the three different calls. Um, you know, when you go into a box call, you're trying to pair up two woods that work well together. You know, you could have put walnut on walnut. You could put, you know, cherry walnut um, are kind of the standards you can get into the exotics. But um, like, man, I think when we sat out when we set out to make this call. We wanted it to be good looking, but then also more importantly for me and us is, is it for it to sound good? And so we yeah. Or- there's
0: a, there's a nostalgia to box calls where they bring out. There's an ornateness to them. Like oftentimes people touch a box call and the first thing they comment on is that it's beautiful. Yep.
4: Yeah. And I mean, well, the listeners can't see this thing right now, uh, but I mean, this is, I keep my ear turned to the turkey world and like pay attention to the box. Like this thing is is a piece of art, the one that we put together in it. And it, more importantly, it just sounds good. And so, um, as Steven mentioned earlier, like one of the things you have to do to get this call to operate is you need to get the lid to grab to the sidewall of, of the box. Um, and so we use chalk to do so. And then um, as you swipe, I'm looking at a call as a right-handed caller. I'm going to swipe the paddle right to left. It will make contact higher up the box, um, so you need that to be a little bit thicker um, because we need to get less vibration out of this sidewall. And then as it gets down towards the bottom, we
0: will hear that call start to break over, and that's where it gets thinner. Uh, people, People at home, imagine if somehow you don't know what this is. Imagine you have a rectangular box with a wooden lid. But then the lid is fixed at one point, so the lid can just kind of slide back and forth. Yep, yep. So we're literally he's sliding the lid across the lip of the box. Oh man! And so yeah, gets me downright excited. Man.
4: Yeah, sure. And then not to pat myself on the back, but these things come out of of some you know some routers, some 3D routers as close as possible. But there's no when you're building a call out of wood, it's not like this latex, which I can take every piece of latex, spec it out. Oh yeah. It's 0.003 inches. Exact. It's uniform. Wood is wood. And so here's the big crux of building a wood call that sounds good is that this thing might have grains that goes perfectly straight down the sidewall. It might have some sapwood in it. It might have some figure in it. It might have a burl on one side. And so here I am, after they all come off the machine, you have to literally tune one of these Hand by hand, you know, one after another, each side by hand to get it. Both sides to run like a turkey. What does that process look like when you're doing that? <sighs> so, I get it, it's kind of like if you can imagine me being very angry at first. Um, because I'm going to, I'm running the box way harder than I should. I'm really just trying to get that chalk to like bite into the grain and really just like fill the call up with chalk. And then you're listening, like, as you do it over time, you, you get a pretty good ear for it. Like if it sounds like it's scratchy, like the box call I have is not tuned on the left side. So if I start to hear like wood versus wood, like a scratchy, it's typically in the paddle. Huh. Um, so I'll take the paddle off or I'll sand the paddle and try to get it to smooth out. Or the, maybe there's like a little bit of a, a chunk out of the paddle. Um, if it's not like, if the timing's not right, like high to low and like in cadence, it's typically on the sidewall. So I'll go mess with the sidewall and thin out a, a section. And, and it's kind of, it's, it's really an art to kind of hand tune these things. Now we could set up the machine to just do all of this perfectly, but once again, it's wood. Um, and so for me, rather than throwing half of these boxes in the garbage, because I don't want to put your name, the meat eater name or the Phelps name on them. I don't want to toss these all. What we do is we do kind of a conservative build on a box call. Give me a lot of meat in that wall and I'll slowly sand my way into a call. That sounds good. How long does it take you to tune one? Um, it really depends. Some of them will give me like a five to 10 minute fit, like need a lot of work. Sometimes it's just a real quick, you know, thirty swipes, ten swipes to get the angle right, and we're we will swipe, swipe, check, and and we're out in a minute. And you t- you always tune one wall. Uh, no, so on my personal call, I brought here. I just tune the right side because I'm a right-handed caller. That's the side I play most. Whether I'm I'm kind of the I don't know what you call this the tomahawk chop, like running it this way, or if I'm running it kind of flat style. Yeah. Um. So the right side is what I play typically, but on every call we send out, we try to tune them to two different turkeys left and right and make sure that both sides play. Um and and everybody's a little bit <clears throat> different. Um I, I kind of have a group of pre-tuners that get me close. So oh, that, no kidding, really. So that yeah. I'm not so that I'm not doing the entire legwork myself because Five hundred seems like a, a big number, maybe a small number, but it seems like it's a million when you're when it comes to like five hundred box calls needing tuned. Um, that number becomes exponentially bigger than it really is um, when it, when you're counting box calls.
0: Yeah. So if um, you want to touch something touched by the actual Jason Phelps, right now it's pull, a, box. pull a fingerprint off it. <laughs> oh no! All the mouth calls have been in his mouth. Oh yeah, yeah. We pre tune all those too. <laughs>
4: The, the, that's, the, the little, that's a little section. call
0: humor there, ladies so, and gentlemen. That's, uh, an old, that's an old call joke. The mouth calls have not been in Phelps's mouth.
4: And then one of the thing I do, why we why we've got the time is is like tuning a box call, like showing up here to Montana and what ten percent relative humidity. Yeah, going to Washington to ninety percent relative humidity. Um, there's a spring under the screw which the the box call pivots on. That can rattle around and, and rotate even in shipping or from you may need to adjust that. And so. Why I don't recommend you take your box call and get your Phillips head screwdriver out before you start to play it. There is always some minor tweaking on that screw. Um, if the call seems to be too high pitch and it doesn't break over, if you run the screw clockwise and actually tighten it, you will start to get your back end earlier. So you'll get the the tune, the, you know, the second part of the, the note before you're all the way parallel. Huh. Um, if your call is too tight, then you can loosen it and it'll actually make the call higher pitched. Um, so there's, it's kind of, as I mentioned earlier, so the tuning is me sanding it and then really adjusting the screw. Um, for the box call that we designed, um, a good starting place is to screw the screw, the 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 brass screw all the way down and then come out three quarters of a turn. It's kind of going to get you in that ballpark and we start adjusting from there. Um, so like I always cringe it's people like getting out and tuning their calls yeah. right off the bat. But that's, if things are just out of whack, um, that's, that's a good place to get back to.
7: Because yeah, just a slight, turn, not even a whole quarter turn on a box oh, call. Huge. Huge.
4: Yeah, I mean difference. an eighth of a turn would would change a call when I was tuning them from not working to speaking like pure turkey. Really? It's crazy yeah, yeah. that little bit of just changing the angle that that lid's hitting hitting the boxes
0: is what matters. Um, I had no idea. I would, you know, my tendency is to get in there, I don't know, quarter, half crank. Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'll get to the bottom of this. yeah, yeah. No, and that's where it's you know
4: you can nerd out on these things because that eighth of a turn matters or you know the difference in the wood matters or you know i got to the point where oh we got sapwood on one side we need to come out a little bit more because it's a little bit tighter grained or hmm. whatever it needs yeah. to be like you just start to learn but um yeah the, those things were meant to be you know tweaked a little bit by the end user based on location humidity um and then we also want to note um the box call is tough to run, at least ours being, you know, pure wood doesn't have the waterproof chalk or anything. They're, they're kind of the first call that gets put away in a in a plastic bag, you know, when the rain hits. So that call kind of just, it's a, it's a fair weather call. Yeah. Um, but it does have, it's got that distance, and I just love
0: the sound of a, a, a well-tuned box call. Um, I know a lot of guys like to use them just for trying to, you know, when you can't get nothing going on, just trying to get a gobble too because you just get a loud, piercing Yep, you know, High when pitch. you're just trying to try something, man, they'll pull that they'll pull that one out. Yep. just to try to make something happen. Yep.
7: Talk but about I, the. Talk, I'd like oh, to point sorry, out go. before we leave the box call that one thing that we wanted in the design of it was uh, compact. Yep. Yep. Box yep. calls can sometimes be unruly how big they are. Like they yeah. don't even make pockets in your vest that'll fit some <laughs> of the ones that are out there. Uh, but this one's nice, where you could just you know put in your pant pocket if you wanted to. Yep,
4: yep. Nine inches long and you know, about one one point seven inches wide, so it's it's a nice compact side that that still gets a good high note. Um, you know, like you had mentioned, you got those old fifteen inch like boat paddles that are just you know you're out there just big old swipes and and they're just tough to hunt with. Um, how many how many of those are we gonna have? The sky's the limit. Like we okay. just we, we kind of hit with this. I just first like one. curious
0: how many you want to pick up and tune.
4: Oh, we can we'll just we'll have to figure out a better system. But we can or I'm gonna have to hire somebody
7: that's like a box call tuner. But we know the first five hundred have been tuned Tune, by yep. Jason Phelps yep. himself. I love it. Yep.
4: Um yeah, and so then we've got the pot calls. Um I think I don't know if Giannis was a bigger um Cheerleader for the smaller pots, or if it was Steve, but I know we didn't go with a full size pot. No,
0: that. no, I, I we're either we're in, we're in a line together, on that, okay. Man, yeah,
4: so you know, most of your pots are like four because my pots. turkey
0: vest has a small little pot. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the pot, right. pot pocket, so there you the heard it, Why we have a
4: slightly smaller <laughs> pot
0: call just so Steve can fit
4: these in his vest. Um, They're a little bit smaller. I like Um, the way it feels in your hand. Yeah, they're easier to hold. Um, There's a lot of good reasons for it. And then we kind of went back and forth. Do we bring out a slate? Do we bring out a glass, a crystal? And we ultimately ended up on uh, a slate over glass and then a um, crystal over slate um, inside of a walnut pot.
0: Yeah, man, that's the thing. Explain it to people how it's got, how how they're not laminated. What do you describe? Like how there's multiple surfaces that live inside there. So what you need
4: is, is, it's kind of that sound chamber. And as, as you guys, nobody can see this, but these both all have like dimensions that we were, as we were prototyping these, um, the distance you set that soundboard underneath the playing surface affects your breakover. It affects your notes. It affects everything that this call produces. And so the height you, there's a pedestal that's actually uh, like on this call um, that the sounding board is glued to. And we change the height of that pedestal. The higher it is, the higher pitch, the lower it is, the, the deader the call gets. Um, and so we we need to set that um, so that we can, I don't know what, how you, everybody's kind of got the own, their own place they play on these. But I play on the edges. Yeah. So the edges, I would say on most calls, you probably come in like a half inch off the edge, Yeah. you know, kind of as a, and so that's where I played and kind of tuned all these calls to where most people will play. On that perimeter, but you know a little bit off the edge, um, and so you're just kind of trying to find two surfaces that complement each other. You know, there's aluminum, there's there's uh, you know people use real wood soundboards. Um, there's all kinds of of soundboards and and tops that you can play with, um, but crystal's really consistent. It gives that sharper high note, um, and then it kind of comes down and hits that slate, which kind of gives it a more mellow back end um, versus the slate. It's got that mellow front end but then you use the glass to kind of give it a little bit of a, of a pep and so it's we tested a bunch of these glass crystal slate and I think we just wanted to kind of stay with the the typical at least in the start um a good glass slash crystal call
0: and a, and a good slate call I always carry two yep. and that's that same configuration because one I leave stuff laying out in the woods yep and then I got to go back and try to find that tree where I was sitting. <laughs> Um and that keeps me busy while, you know, I still have something in my arsenal when I leave one laying out in the woods. And two, the rain issue yep. is different. Because yep. when you get traditional, like, you know, slate like traditional, it's like slate like out of the earth. Yeah. Right? Yep. When it gets wet, it's hard to monkey with. Yeah. Um glass is uh or, or, you know, the crystal service, you can just like dry that thing off.
4: Yeah. Or if you have a waterproof striker or an all weather striker, you can just keep playing that thing right
0: through. Yeah. So it's a little bit bulletproof.
4: But so then if the
7: crystal's I, wet. As long as your striker's a waterproof striker, yep. it'll still play. Wet. You ever see
0: crystal with an aluminum, like with an aluminum striker? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't matter. But I mean, it's so easy to dry. It's not an issue. Yeah. I mentioned this too. I've even taken, like, I've even held mine up, just taken a lighter and just flicked the lighter on there and it thinks back to brand yep. new, man. Yeah.
4: Yep, so you can, you know, play that. And then, you know, prep's a big thing. Like, we're sending these calls out non-prepped. It's like, well, that's a huge part of, you know, whatever way you scratch or prep the call, you want to run the striker in the opposite direction, you know, not with the scratches. And so, inside these calls, it was very important. I think you called me up and said, hey, we need some sort of instructions in here. And so now when we ship the calls, like we will give very detailed instructions about the approximate location. You know, if it's a crystal, you should take the, you know, provided uh, conditioning stone. If it's a slate, you know, use the, you know, provided scouring pad. Um, and, and we give exact locations on on where to scratch the call up to, to get that good sound.
0: Yeah, like meaning if you open, like if you open up one of these crystal calls, and you take your striker, and you're like, it doesn't work. Like, it won't work. You have to create an abraded, like, sanded spot. And people will kind of hunt around on there. And it's it, it's never going to be the same for two people, right? Yeah. Like, Because just everything about sort of how you hold your hands, your configuration, how you work the striker, it's never going to be the same for two people. So you're going to – you might explore around and find a couple little – Different spots that you like um, to get the sounds you want, and then on top of that, you'll sort of learn what you can get away with in terms of how frequently you need to refresh it. But things you got to figure out too is if you even if you have like if your hands are sweaty, if you got you know just your natural oils, skin oils on your fingers, you get that stuff on slate, man. It's like tough, yeah. And and so you kind of learn how to. It's good just to learn how to do it. Because it's not like you prep it once and then that's it. Even if you even if you got this call and you open it, it's like oh, it's pre-prepped. There's still maintenance. Yep. Like when I sit down in the woods in the morning, man, before I do anything, I'll be sitting in the dark. Before I do anything, I'd go through my little conditioning ritual. Yep. To make sure that thing's ready to start yep. cranking some noise on.
4: Yeah, and like before you make a sound, like. You know the striker tip; it'll eventually gall up just from running through some of that. You know, you try to clean it off, but it's like you know you scratch it in your scour scour pad just to make sure that that thing's ready to go, so you don't you know slide a. As you mentioned earlier, when the the call's not conditioned, if that once that striker doesn't have any bite anymore either, you'll just kind of slide across the call and it it won't produce sound. So there's we provide all of that with these calls so that they can be conditioned instructions and make sure that you know the call will run right.
0: Yeah, you get like slamy grease on the end of that yeah. striker. Yeah, it's done. Yeah. I don't understand when my kids take one and run around the house with it for an hour it never works I think it's just I think it's just their greasy little hands they're, they're done for life but yeah you gotta take like a mill off the end of that striker to get it back yeah. to life but I think they got it up their nose and stuff I don't know what they do to them man they make them not work so yeah the, the conditioning thing and it, the, like the crystal call man it's got like a—it's—it's beautiful. it's its beautiful it's got like the, the, the sound board has a design yep Um, it's like it's collateral damage I mean you're going to obscure the crystal and obscure the thing when you yeah. start monkeying with getting your thing. Yeah. The slate is way different, and that the same thing you use to wash your dishes. But you still got to wa- you still got to take care of the surface. Yep, yep. And one thing, I mean, these specific calls, like we
4: laser etched the slate, like they're gonna they're gonna get damaged in the in the prep of this call, no matter what you do. Um, so don't, you know, just, just scratch over top of the, the meat
0: eater Phelps name or across the bird, um, to get that prepped. Um,
4: you know, it's not meant to last
0: forever. For me personally, um, in my kind of calling, you know, wanting to learn how to like kill turkeys good. I wound up having, I, th- I think in terms of labor versus output, practice versus output. I had the greatest advances learning how on pot calls. Yep. Where, um, you know, a box call, they're great. There's like very good turkey hunters that just use box calls, right? But they're they're, they're loud, they, they, which is one of their big selling points. Like, you know, they have a high volume, um, and some people can get a lot of, some people can get develop quite a vocabulary with it. But anyone could pick one up and start making like a a, a loud yelp. Yep, not anyone, most people. Learning the rest of the vocabulary is a little harder. And learning how to do just subtle sounds. Like, you know, you got a bird hung up at 50 yards, and you can't see them good, and you're sort of trying to make something happen before something goes wrong. It might not be the best bet just to be like,
2: yeah, yeah, you
0: know. Yeah. You're just kind of telling it you're here, right, and trying yeah. to keep it around. Um, I think that in the time I spent messing with it, I was more quickly – I was more able to learn how to do the basic calls, like here's a yelp, here's a cluck, right, here's a purr on that on that medium over other things. And then I, I, in my mind, for me, like the the real master, like the thing that's like the most alluring, is you learn how to mouth call. Yep, yep, that's kind of. Then you could do the entire vocabulary and never move your hand. Yep, yep. But so... that's like the kind of thing you got to dedicate yourself to.
4: Yeah, I, you know, where the pot call, as you mentioned, you can pick that up, and I think anybody can run it within about five minutes of an instructions, or at least start to sound like a turkey. Like, the mouth call takes some some dedication. No,
0: you got to be like, you know what, man? I'm going to spend years, like, I don't mind. I'm going to drive around in my car, drive around in my truck, and I'm going to learn how to do this. And then when you get there, like, you're there. Yep. You know, but it's a journey. Yeah. To learn how.
4: I mean, and, and you know, the crazy thing is us being elk guys and turkey call guys, like, I don't know what it is, and I wish I could figure out what it is, but we get, hey, I I can run this out call, but I can't run a tricky call. Or, hey, I can run the tricky calls, but I can't run your out calls. And it's like, you know, but ultimately, as you had alluded to a little bit earlier, is, you know, these calls, we want to design calls that were easy to use, but then also calls that the very experienced caller would be, you know, happy to use. And and so it's it's tough to kind of strike that, you know, and we develop it through materials, through the cuts, um, all of that. And so, um, you know, ultimately we brought out Four turkey calls. They come in a three pack, which is yours, which is a Jake break. Steve, Steve Rinella, Jake break. Love that term, Jake break. Yep. Um, we've got. <laughs> love them, Jake's. <laughs> we've got Giannis's, which hey, is. Hey,
0: Jake's have saved a lot of turkey hunts, man. <laughs>
4: <laughs> they eat the same, too, don't they?
0: Yeah. And my kid eat this right year, up. like, he's, you know, he had his first turkey season last year. And um, I he'll be, this will be the second Turkey season. If depending on where I go, my daughter will have her first Turkey season this year. And, uh, you know, I know that the Jake's out there will hopefully help them get over that initial hump. Yeah. No, Jake's are fun. I haven't introduced to them the idea that it's not the perfect Turkey. No, no, they'll be, they'll be
4: happy with a Jake. Um, uh, and then, so, uh, Giannis's Latvian Eagle, it's the heaviest call in the group. Um, he used a little thicker latex. Yeah, um, explain the, that. So what you get with the heavier latex is a little more volume, a little more long distance calling, a little heavier cutting, and then just by adding um, heavier latex, you also get a little bit deeper turkey, you know, an older boss hen um, sound. It's a it's a. But little you need deeper, more air. A little more air. It's not going to light up. You know, as you had mentioned earlier, like if you want to do a little soft purr, it might. It, you know, that purr might be mid to loud volume. <clears throat> by the time you get it to, to fire off, where, you know, like with your call or the meat eater's choice or the easy clucker, you could do really subtle light clucks. You can still do it. Uh, a good caller can still do it on Giannis' call. It's just going to be, it's almost to that box. Like if you want to reach the turkey three canyons over, like you can yelp on that thing and get that volume out of it.
0: But you find that people can generally learn easier on the lighter latex.
4: Typically. Um, it's just they get sound and so they 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 they're maybe not frustrated. Now, That doesn't necessarily mean learning like you might have just a heavy-mouthed guy that just wants to put all the air in his lungs to the call. And so even though he's not an experienced caller, he may prefer Giannis over. And that's where it's like it's all over the board, like trying to find, you know, we get the the email, hey, I'm a new hunter. What should I use? And it's like, I'd like to put you in this for 80, but you might be the complete opposite and and want something else.
0: Yeah, that's why I think it's good to have, you know, to get a handful of them at once and just start messing with them. Yep um so yeah his has
4: got a cutter's cut on it um really really raspy um i like that call a
7: lot and then um, the latex should also withstand that heavier calling a little bit longer before it kind of plays out
4: it's a little more durable um where you know steve steve's call um has a a lighter piece of latex on top with a what we consider a combo cut with some prof as you're playing read so it's a little lighter but it achieves that higher pitch easier um without putting a bunch of air to it um and then the meat eater's choice. Once again, we're using Prof as the backing read, the playing read, and then we've got um, it's kind of a modified bat wing, is what we're calling it. Tells um, that well. some um, so really easy to. And then we we still get that rasp out of it. Uh, and then the the single call by itself is is easy clucker where we put a ghost cut in it, and uh, really really easy to use, easy to get your kiki runs out of and stuff your immature turkeys. Um, but it's typically the most easy for a, a new caller to run. Uh,
0: dirt I didn't know, like, I, you don't even strike me as this, but, um, Corinne had it down that you were a saxophone player.
1: <laughs> Not a lot of people know that about
0: me.
6: It's like you, Chevy Chase, and Bill Clinton, man. Uh, Bill Clinton. Hand <laughs> <laughs> me hey, my saxophone. Let me show you something. <laughs> yeah, growing up in a little town of Weyip, Ipe uh, I was in the band from junior high school through my sophomore year, and I sold my sax and bought a 338 wind Mag. Does, uh... <laughs> that being a
0: reed instrument and a diaphragm call being like a reed, um, right? Yeah. Like, were you like, oh, this is easy. I used to play saxophone.
6: Um, it's different, yeah. But it's, there's some some weird nuances between diaphragms and, and saxophone reeds. Uh, quality, construction, like if you buy the cheap sax reeds, they don't seem to work as good. You just can't get those sweet, sweet tones and, and melodies. And some... You know, brand X, brand whatever. A lot of guys will kind of pick up a diaphragm and be like, oh, first time in their mouth. no, doesn't sound good. I can't do it. But experimenting a little bit, you you find that not all diaphragms are built the same. and Same with saxophone reeds. One of my buddies would lend me a reed. Here, try one of these. He'd have a really nice Rico reed or something. And I'd throw that baby in and I was like, wow. I All of a sudden, just got way better. Oh, is so, that right? Yeah. So I kind of feel the same thing about diaphragms, whether it's turkey calls, elk calls. Like there's a quality issue not all not all created equal yeah some of them like those sax reeds would absorb water really fast and then they, they just kind of fall apart so i don't know if they're making them out of cheap bamboo or or what but there's definitely a difference do you play anymore i haven't played one since sophomore in high school oh i bet i could probably still play one if i had one in front of me um how long does it take to put a, when you guys decide to make a new call how long does, how long
0: does it actually take to get it right like before you can start selling it to people? It just really depends,
4: um, you know, whether it's a box calls or a little more finicky, uh, you know, so if we we're going to bring a new box call out and, and this is where I don't know if we want to talk production versus like if I was to build one is is way different. Um, like my whole process the whole machining process like I used to build box calls and pot calls out in my shop like I would chuck you know the the back of ours don't have a, a hole in the center I would drill a hole through any piece of walnut spin it down into a circle you know build the shape and, and I, I sold lots of pot calls back in the day I built a couple boxes where I would you know hand chisel out the sides and sand everything down oh would you really yeah And I, so I, I had built box calls but getting your mind right to build 500, 1000, 2000 is a completely different animal. Like you need to be on the conservative side so that when you do get that weird piece of wood. Um, so like, for instance, the Walnut we bought is a lot more of a pain in my ass than the Purple Heart. The Purple Heart's all straight as an arrow. Everything's perfect where the Walnut was kind of all over the place. And so you're like, you know, you had to mess with it or each one had to be tuned. Um, you know, in the future, I think we will buy a more select grade of lumber. So we're not dealing with knots and, and issues, um, especially when it comes to calls. You know, some of these calls are beautiful because they do have a swirl here or there. Um, but for for, um, you know, music instruments, um, we should probably stick to the. But I, I would say now with with everything we we know, um, the di- designs we've got, um, you know, if we were to do something new, it'd probably, you know, a month or two get the materials, make some changes
0: and, and get something out. Um, these- I tell you. I want to tell you why I'm asking, but now you're making it seem like it's not a good idea. I want to do a thing where we find a tree that we really like, chop that tree down, right? And then go through, take people through the whole process, remill it, dry it, right? Yep. And then out of that will come box calls. Oh, right, we could do that. No problem. And you could get a box call.
4: That you've watched it from the tree to the call. Yep. I think we do it. A series of calls that comes from one tree. How many would we get off one tree? A black walnut, if it's old enough, a lot. Huh. Like a lot of, uh, you, could, you could do this whole production run out of a, one big black walnut.
1: Really?
0: Yeah. I know, just the place. Perfect. I, I think we have and a- And Seth, used to, he'd be able to grade it because he was trained up in forestry. Do you
3: know that? So I want structural selector better. Black walnut's the money tree. Usually high in value.
0: Well, but but yet it's I'm like to the- tell the guy that we're
3: getting it <laughs> <laughs>
0: triple, triple stumpage my-
3: that would be uh, trimber, timber trespass. Uh, Seth
0: worked on a thing one time to where stolen trees explain this, Seth.
3: Yeah, we when we were when I was in college, we had a we did like this. It was I forget what class it was in, but we had a lab where we like there was a timber, it wasn't actual timber trespass. Um, but we like mimicked a timber trespass where someone like a logger had gone onto to the neighboring property and cut a bunch of trees. And then you have to go in and like measure indentations in the soil when the tree was dropped and just try to figure out how much volume was taken.
0: Yeah. yeah it's like, um, uh, um, what's that word I'm looking for? Damn it. It's like a word about crime forensic. That's the word I'm <laughs> forensic, for- <laughs> forensic forestry, dude. Yeah, yeah, yep. I'm gonna write a book about that. <laughs> if you're hearing this, you can go to the meat eater, the meat slash Phelps, all right, and you'll see all of what we're talking about. And we have videos about them all. Um, you can sh- we show them the materials are made, how they're used, we have videos of us using them, like the whole thing is explained out, but then. Um, they go on sale March 4. And if you want to find out about Jason and Dirk Durham here, you can go find those guys at phelps.com whenever the hell you want. Can I give a shameless plug? Please. Because don't add the Maverick to your cart. I'm trying not hey
4: now, to get what? beat by Dirk's personal call. So add that pink signature out call to your cart while you're there buying
6: your trick. There's calls. no mer- mercy purchases for you, Jason. I'm sorry.
0: So, yeah, you guys have a run. Who's actually
4: winning this? Uh, uh, we're not going to, the results are still out. We're it's not gonna a long-term talk about, battle. Yeah, oh, yeah. We're not going to talk about the short-term battle that we're
0: in. <laughs> well, do you give, because um, I know you guys have like your own allies, like people who follow your own like signature elk calls, but can't you just give better treatment of it on the website because you have control of that?
4: Yeah. I'm going to start like kicking in a lot of pink sales, um, <laughs> ch-
0: cranking the price up on them. We're going to control it. And, and your color is pink. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. And it's if you an, see it's a, a new black. If you see a guy open his mouth, and it's a what color Dirk? Red, red. red. It's
1: I know bird. he's that's been he's... in Dirk's mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: all right. yeah. All right. So again, go to, to, to check all this out because this is this is interesting. It's been a really interesting process. We're super proud of it. Go to the dot slash phelps, and like I said, you'll, there's a smorgasbord, a smorgasbord of salient facts. A smorgasbord of videos about the calls. Um, you know, it's funny when we were filming those, I was getting, I had a gobbler ripping. Did you really? Yeah. Nice. In a place where there are no gobblers. Well, they're there a little bit. That's how good they are. You can I'm, get point, in, I'm trying to point in the right direction.
8: And then where later, and then approximately
7: later that e- north. That, that, that way.
8: way. Later that <laughs> evening, when you guys <laughs> rapped, you probably had all the They were all there. there.
0: No, there's uh yeah, we had a gobbler ripping those fun, middle of the damn winter. Um, all right, go there, check it out. March four, go buy some. Have some fun this spring. Thank you, guys. Welcome aboard. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Jason Phelps, Dirk Durham, famous saxophonist. <laughs> Turn turkey collar. Just think your saxophone is in some pawn shop right now. It is. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> all right, guys, thanks a lot. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. The Sport Dog promise to consumers is simple gear the way you'd design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter.
5: I've used that sport dog collar in different temperatures. It just doesn't stop working.
0: Get 20% off your first purchase using code MEATEATER. So go to www.sportdog.com slash eater to learn more. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. It is a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that they need, and that meets them where they are and helps them get through challenges. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible. It's simple to use. You can connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at betterhelp.com. That's better, H E L P.com.